just a good old boy Never meaning no harm Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law since the day they was born Good old boys I'm Mark Bog Beef Angela Nagel Hi I, <laughs> This is this, um, <laughs> It's a bad I'm, day Yeah Merrick's been trying to calm me down. I've been hyperventilating for the past hour and a half. <laughs> um, like, okay, so this is this is this is a big get for us. Um, when we started the show, we there's a couple people we want to talk to. Anyways, you're here now. We did it. We won. Um, <laughs> and so I, I I don't know how this must feel because like one minute you're a regular guest on literally the fucking highest rated program in U.S. cable news history. Uh, yeah, and then now you're fucking here. <laughs> it, this is like, you know, there's like that guy with his t-shirt tucked in, that totally unfuckable loser who just doesn't get the message at all. And he keeps sending you these fucking like bizarre Facebook messages for, for like eight years after college. Pretty sure you may even saw him like fucking eat a booger once, like <laughs> in college. And your your mother's been goading you into going out with him. Like she doesn't see this. She's just like, I don't give a fuck. I just want grandkids. Who cares? Um, and so, in a moment of severe weakness, which we all have, you know, like like a Merle Haggard, so like you're just at the lowest of the low. You say yes, right? And now, like for the next hour, like you are fucking imprisoned, like at the Red Lobster on the other side of the table, while this piece of shit, like this. <laughs> Like, and by the way, he wants everyone to know it. You get to hear, like, for the 85th time, all these obnoxious, like, hey, waiter, I think the the Mick last here might want to start out with a couple shots of Jameson. <laughs> I, th- I think she's getting the shakes. It was a long cab ride. Um, you're here. Yeah. I've got, like, a some people have asked me, like, who's Angela Nega or whatever. Um, so here's a story I give, which may be, like, just a complete thing I made up. I don't know. I did I've done a fair amount of uh, narcotics, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna like tell your your biography, and then you just come in and just fix it, okay? All right. This is like you know eight thousand years ago, like 2015 or something. Uh, you're like you have some kind of PMC uh, academic jobs. You go to work all day doing like Marxism and feminism, whatever, and like reading and teaching all this crap. You come home tired in the evenings, and you're like, Jesus, uh, I'm gonna get on Facebook and like share some cat pictures or talk about music. And you, you keep seeing you keep seeing all this stuff, like these crazy hot takes about like Marxism and all this bullshit. And you're like, uh, you're you're like a mechanic or something you overhear a conversation of people that don't know what the fuck they're talking about you're like you know i'm not here to do this but uh maybe i'll just chip in like hey you know you guys uh, you don't that's not really what the how the labor about labor theory of value work you wrote this book available fine bookstores everywhere uh angela nagel kill all normies online culture wars from 4chan and tumblr the trump and the alt-right you document this machine and then it came to came after you yeah um <laughs> well first of all um uh you know th- this is th- there's lots of um you know it's very much my choice and my pleasure to do shows like this like because this is a really good show and you know when i like i i would much prefer to listen to this than um you know a lot of the 
um, the the podcasts and stuff that the bigger publications Careful. are putting out because because it really is great. No, it's wonderful. And like the last conversation that you guys had with Malcolm was to me just far. You know, it, it's just to me the the kind of most interesting conversations that are happening actually really anywhere. Um, so. So I'm very happy to be on the show. And uh, in terms of my own background, uh, yeah, I mean, um, well, I, I was sort of political before I got into writing or the academic stuff or anything like that. And I, um, I think the first, like actually from a very young age, so the first kind of thing that politicized me was the um, big protests that went on all over the world about the Iraq war. Mm-hmm. And the left was very much on the correct side of that. Um, and uh, then the next big thing was the financial crisis, which hit Ireland very hard. And in many ways, the country has never really been the same since. Uh, before the financial crisis, uh, it was like a really great place to be because we are in this really perfect, like ideal sweet spot between, uh, you know, we benefited from all of the the kind of social fabric and the social capital of a, of the, the the very conservative society that existed before. But the we green also, dragon. but we well the Celtic tiger the, the but we also benefited from all of the um, we also benefited from you know the the uh the the Celtic tiger and kind of the you know opening up of uh travel and stuff like that in the EU everything seems to be going very well everything was very optimistic and then the financial crisis kind of changed all of that like Ireland has had for example a housing crisis that has gone on for a decade or something huge homelessness um Dublin is one of the most expensive cities to rent in in the world um (laughs) i know it's it's really incredible yeah it's all just very artificially inflated and um and long story short what happened was that um in you know ireland is a very young nation so in in the in the early stages of trying to build a kind of um productive or industrial economy of our own we basically just gave up on that and decided instead to be a tax haven and uh in the beginning that we got all these benefits of course from that uh but but you can't base an economy on that level of um of, of nothing basically right of like speculation and stuff so um it's very crisis prone and nice. the p.o box that uh that uh <laughs> Uh, Facebook guy sends his big fat checks to in Dublin. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, and so uh, yeah, so so I kind of feel still very much like as much as I have come to feel as contemptuous as like Malcolm does about the left and everything. It is true that the left's economic analysis has been, generally speaking, has been vindicated, and that the kind of um the, the the Reagan and Thatcher sort of era as well as the the third way um kind of Tony Blair. Uh, yeah yeah view of things ha- has been proven wrong um 
and yet here we are the 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 very vital and very necessary kind of historical um project of of the left which is was supposed to be to defend the interests of the working class is more necessary than ever uh, because we have the situation where wealth is being more and more concentrated at the very very top of society and yet the left is has attached itself has fused that very necessary project with this kind of absolutely disastrous anti-social um you know like civilizational death kind of cult uh which is basically everything else about the left its entire moral social cultural project um and so that's the problem that we're in we we haven't actually moved if anything we've gone backwards since 2016 um that situation that that problem has still not been solved um so we so i still am very much on the left on all economic questions um i just think that we have not found a way we've failed to find a way to take that and remove it from um the all of the other stuff that is attached to it in the thing that we refer to as the left when you said that you, you had politics before, made me think of this Mike Tyson quote where he said, "Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face." Yeah, that that's been the problem for a long time, and you know, in many ways, like I wish that I could sort of move on from this question because it's you know it's, <laughs> it's very frustrating and it's kind of the worst no man's land to be in politically uh, because you're on the side of a group of people that hate you. But the truth is the truth, and like I, I just can't see it any other way. This is the problem of our time, and you know there are people on, on the right who are kind of trying to reform the 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 like the Republican Party and try, trying to reform the right parties um, around the world to to change their their um, their kind of economic focus. I don't know if that will be successful, but right now it seems just as likely, maybe more likely than the left doing the reverse, dropping um, some of its disastrous um, social projects. Well, you said that basically world-destroying ideas, and it's funny because my conception of the left used to be that they have people who have their idealists. They have these ideas that you know, in a perfect world, that was always the thing about uh, the cri- the critique of socialism from the right it was like, well, you know, if, if people were angels, you could do this. But actually, you know, after experience, after seeing the arguments and and seeing some of you know, some of the things they have gotten that they wanted, and it's really turned out extremely poor. Like, it, it feels the opposite. It feels like you know the fulfillment of the death drive. It doesn't it doesn't feel like a utopian. Uh, system at all it feels like something that it w- would be chaos and and horror like for example you uh you, there was you got a lot of pushback because you essentially said that unlimited immigration is bad for the value of, of uh, labor correct mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the welfare state too right uh, and you were <laughs> Very viciously attacked for this. So you treated like you, 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 everyone's heard the things. Yeah. So how how do you um what's what I'm trying to find a diplomatic way to say it? 
how many people are there on the left who have would have sensible <laughs> sensible policy ideas with regards to immigration, welfare state, labor? Like how how, are, how would how would you possibly get from yeah. where you are now, which is that you have to be supportive of pretty much open borders one way or the other to just an idea that would, I guess 40, 50 years ago would have been obvious to like the emerging welfare states in Europe, right? That you can't mm-hmm. just, you can't just let everybody in and continue to have the same mm. standard of living. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, you know, you can have, I mean, one of the reasons why, um, the, one of the reasons why I guess capitalism has been so comfortable with this kind of new form of the left and has been so on board with all of its cultural projects is because, you know, the free market actually does, I mean, there's not no real such thing as a free market, but at least theoretically, the free market does, um, it, it can work with absolute social chaos. Like in the sense that, you know, if you are, if if the place where you live that you thought was a country is going to be turned into just an airport of, you know, no real, like, coherent body of any kind, you can, ha- like, capitalism can work freely. And in fact, it's probably the ideal system for yeah. the whole world to be, to be changed into a glorified airport terminal. Um, but you can't have that if you want any form of collectivism. If, if your economic projects are based on on a kind of collectivism right you 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 have a sense of that there is a that there is some kind of body of people a nation or whatever it might be and that group of people understand that they have to row together in some way they so you know for example in the old-fashioned social democratic order everyone was you're you're a citizen of a nation and you have a collective understanding that when times are hard you you will be supported and when times are good you pay into the system so when you have a job you pay your taxes if you become unemployed you 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 can get welfare because you are part of this um this collective of people um, and 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 you 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 essentially bail each other out, right? You stick together, you support each other. Um, but the thing is, like, the left is not comfortable accepting any uh, coherent um, collective of people. Like, so it's not. So you can't have any stable conception, whether like whether it's the family or the nation or whatever it might be. Because they think all of those things are fascist, you can't have any of those things. So, on what basis can you be part of a uh, economic productive collective system? Uh, you know, like there, there, the, the question that the that these kind of anti-Reaganite uh, thinkers on the right have sort of worked through is that the the essential kind of idea of Reaganite fusionism is that you have free markets and then traditional families and the nation state and so on. And they've basically worked out that that doesn't make any sense because um, we know from a lot of research on family breakdown and stuff like that, that 
that the the offshoring and the breakdown of like stable employment uh you know was a huge factor probably the most significant factor along with the the kind of religion in the breakup of the family so in other words like the reaganite project was incoherent and it was composed of two um uh mutually incompatible parts now I, I mentioned it in this piece that I just at the very end of this overly long piece I wrote with Michael Tracy for American Affairs. But the, what the left has never thought through is the fact that the the cold since the Cold War the left is also a fusion of two mutually incompatible things. It's sort of like the the, the negative, the photo negative of it, um, which is that it is um, a collective on economics. And then just an absolute individualist chaos on everything else. Uh, and you just can't, yeah, it, it's never yeah, yeah. They they create this technology called intersectionality. Which, who's the, the the friend enemy guy? Schmidt. Oh, Carl, Carl Schmidt. Schmidt. Right, right. You know the red team and the blue team. Well, can't even really have a red team. Like, like uh, because this intersection. Like, as soon as you get to like, um, I remember one of the things with uh, I don't know if you follow. What was the the college in Oregon where people went crazy? Evergreen College. Oh yeah, yeah. You got a preview of a lot of stuff that would like later come down the pipe. There, they remember they, they were the first one to use. They had non-black people of color. Like they had to use words like this because, like, as soon as you get too many of one, you got to split. You got to split. You got to. You got to. It's like um, it's like mandated balance of power. Hmm. You you can never like you will never get to consolidate anything. We want taking back Sunday line. Like we want you cold, broken, and alone. Yeah. In the world of business, like I know, like when you start out and you're like 18, you're like, I want to get my life together. I need to get a, a stable. Uh, I want to. You know, I need to present myself as a very put together guy to employers. Uh, you get to realize that employers love broken people. You know, if someone's got got their life together, if they can crash on their brother's couch, if things don't go bad, then, then they're not going to take being dicked around. Mm. I, I I wouldn't say broken. Broken's going too far. But you definitely want atomized people. You want alienated people. You want people who can come in and they can function, but they don't have a brother they can crash on their couch. And that's kind of you can tell that's the direction we're heading. You build this group of people who you know. They will come in. They'll do the nine to five. They'll take their lithium. They'll, uh, you know, but and they're not. They're going to focus. They'll be very passionate about social justice. Mm. So, I mean, they're broken in the industry. Like it would be unrecognizable to someone who lived a hundred years ago. They would be broken. But like you know, we're, we're not talking about people who are too high on fentanyl to work. Yeah. You're on an H1B contract. You want to you want to talk about your pay? Get the fuck. I can send your ass back to fucking India. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, having a, a society without any form of solidarity basically is ideal because, uh, and, you know, I know that sounds conspiratorial, but I mean, who knows? Yeah, <laughs> it shouldn't anymore. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't anymore. Exactly, it, it, it is ideal because you even find like, you know, one of the things that I, I'm sure you've heard before. Like, I used to live in Brooklyn, <laughs> and you know, like. The, <laughs> And the fact that everyone there is such a weasel is absolutely a, a product of what their lives are like. They they live they live lives that are completely without solidarity. In which Anna Katchen often says this: like they're all just one comment away 
from being thrown under the bus by every single friend yeah. they have. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And they have no they have no stable relationships, they have no family, they have no neighbors. They well they obviously have neighbors but they don't know any of them. Uh, they have n- just no form of solidarity of any kind. Um and you know one thing I did find interesting is like I had a trash bag. Uh, I had like a, a like a third, second or third cousin. I barely knew. They got in some trouble with the law, and I had to hire. I had to hide like trash bags of drugs while they. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see, a, but, bu- a bug man in Brooklyn wouldn't even have that. You know. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, well, yeah. The duty the... that binds you together. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, you even see it in like these awful stories now of people getting fired for this and that um, and how their families even just disavow them so that they will yeah. get public brownie oh, points, God. which is so low. I mean, that, that that just could never happen. There's like a genre of TikTok videos where it's like mm. young women, they're like, can I like incite hate crimes? Mm. They disavow their family. It's just... Mm. It, the famous one is Kellyanne Conway's daughter, who's been on TikTok, just you know, absolutely sh- taking a big dump on her parents. And this, to me, uh, is so f- concept uh, foreign as a concept because it's like these are your family are the only people on the planet who mm. you can really rely on to 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 stick with you. They have like, they mm. have a biological imperative to care about whether you live or die. I, mm. So when you hear these things where people saying like, "Oh, well, your your parents are, are voting for Donald Trump," you should tell them that you're not going to let them see their grandkids. <laughs> don't go to Thanksgiving. Don't go. You know that's the exact opposite. You should never let politics, regardless, come between you and your family. It's the most re- retarded idea I've ever heard. Yeah, but you know. Yeah, I mean, if I if if I had a sibling who who turned out to be a serial killer, I mean, I would still visit them in prison and bring them books and. So you know what I mean? Like the, the, there's absolutely yeah. no like. The, the, so it's so hard to to really comprehend like these people who are so proud to um, snitch on. I mean, being a snitch and also snitching on your own family is just unbelievable. But what's so scary about it too? And this is kind of like the, the, the. This is I think also. I mean, I'm not a religious person, but this is undeniably a product of the of what the world without religion looks like um mm. it, it, you know in the sense that when you take away uh the the role oh, of religion in 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 sort of sanctifying these very positive like pro social norms what it just gets replaced with with this like disaster that we have um like what what's so amazing is when you see someone doing this you think how could you do that you you can't do that and then you realize that the only reason that anything functioned in the past was that there was this totally invisible uh, set of social norms that actually yep. nothing was really holding it together. You know, because if, if I'm some brat and I start disavowing my parents and somebody says, how dare you do that? That's such a terrible thing. That, well, that brat can just say, well, who's going to stop me? I'm going to get famous now. And you know, you and whose army is going to stop me? You know, you don't have any, you don't have anything you can use against me here because the the moral norm has now changed to being a snitch, uh, you know, d- disavowing your own family, being a traitor to your own family, being a traitor to your own country is totally fine. I've mentioned this on Twitter before, a story from 
my mom's youth growing up in the 60s in the south and rural south and there was a person who lived near her who abandoned his wife and his children he just he ran mm. off with another woman and his entire family disowned him his mother mm. uh, did not include him in the list of her children in her obituary. No one ever talked about him because he violated one of these. You know, there was <laughs> it wasn't a law written down anywhere, but he violated the social norm, and there were actually consequences for it. He had to leave the community and become a rootless person. But once those yeah. once those guide bars are gone, then anything mm. goes. Do whatever you want. Do you think those people yeah. that disavowed him? Do you think they understood like the like the 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 domino effects and how that like uh, you know how this uh, bolsters community by having these <laughs> pro social norms like this? Um, I'm sure I'm sure they were well well versed in the sociology. Yeah, I think the people do understand it intuitively, um, and it is so incredibly complicated. Like if you have to go back to the very beginning and like rationally work your way through all of this. Why is this social norm positive? Why is this one negative? It takes a really long time. That's to what just... we're doing. Yeah, but it... <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we're, we're, but... like we're, we're going to work through like um. So they're like, okay, so the police are like these guys who replace slave catchers, and they just beat, they just kill people for fun, or uh, they just like shoot black people for no reason, and then like like okay, so we'll have no cops, and then like random people go around shooting and stabbing people, and they're like, oh hmm, maybe we should develop some kind. There's there's a couple thinkers like um, God of Twitter, uh, Nicola, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. He's had a bad year though. <laughs> uh, my my favorite interaction with this Taleb was was arguing with um, with Brett Weinstein. Weinstein was like, oh, you know, Christianity's bullshit. One of Taleb's specialties is sort of like explains to people like what, why, how this stuff works and why like these rules of thumb, religion, these, these norms stuff work. He's like cussing out Brett Weinstein. He's like calling him a motherfucker and telling him he'll kill him. At the same time, <laughs> he's explaining to him like why. He's like, you see, we have this religion thing. He's like, and you piece of motherfucking shit. This is why you don't just go up people and it, it, it was, um, it, it was uh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, why, why, why do you go to hell if you if you abandon your spouse? We have we have this wonderful. So in the South, my mom told me about it. You know, you didn't shack up, right? So you had to we had to you didn't move in until you got married, right? So you buy this house, you get married, husband gets back from service, whatever, and you move into the neighborhood. And so there was this thing where the ladies in the neighborhood would sort of scope you out, make sure you knew how to cook. And, like, if you didn't know how to cook, it was okay. But they would, like, pull you aside and be like, listen, honey, we're going to come over. We're going we're gonna to talk about, uh, you know, flour and, uh, and, uh, and uh, how to make a decent meal or you'll be a shitty wife. Mm. And th- these people felt like that, like, like this is just something you have to do. Mm. Yeah, it was very much the same when I was growing up as well. I, I, I grew up in the countryside, so I, we probably have pretty similar experience i i think that that my so we're all like uh we're all like hinterland people from where the action is right yeah we don't enunciate and stuff this is like (laughs) an alliance of uh backwater people i wonder if that how much that like um affects like the intellectual freedom thing what do you mean angela doesn't sound like a dumbass like we do you mean just that we're we're not on board with the we're not sort of naturally aligned with bug people I think you, uh, we would feel a lot more pressure if we were, uh, say. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. I, I think it's maybe obviously once you once you hit the big scene, it was different. <laughs> but before that, like you could probably say and do whatever you thought. Ireland was just mm-hmm. a backwater note, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I want to jump into a big question, just throw it at you and see what you say. Okay, so <laughs> one, of, one of these big things that we talk about is these PMCs and, you know, how everything has changed in the past, like, five or six years. The left is, is like this bourgeois supremacist movement, basically. Mm, mm. I, I like I like really dumb, stupid, uh, like, one single sentence explanations for things. Uh, let me try this one out and see what you think. What if, like, the reason that this certain class has developed so much power is just because of, like, basic technology, things like Excel, the that's it. Everyone has computers, not even very much skill in like any of these like organizing things, anything that requires college, working with your brain are just like ten, 100 times more potent and powerful mm. than they were mm. uh, 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, that's definitely, the, the, I mean, and this was, this was planned, right? Like the, the, the plan was you offshore as much of the productive economy as possible and you have a you grow the knowledge economy you make send everyone to college and you have um the creative economy and the knowledge economy and stuff like that it it we typically associate it with blair tony blair because he kind of articulated it the most but if you actually go back and look there's a um there's this, um, what was it called? The Commission on the Year 2000, sometimes referred to as the Bell Commission, Daniel Bell, um, which was uh, like a, the, it was the project that kind of gave birth to the, all the ideas about the the transition to the post-industrial economy. Um, and the idea at the time was that, uh was that if you move all of the, uh, if you move as much manufacturing out of your, if you're a leading country in the world, you move the manufacturing out, you do the high profit um, stuff, a lot of finance, um, tech and so on, um, that you can basically, that you basically don't need to have uh, a a standard kind of um, uh like say structure of an economy where you have like a public sector agrarian industrial and then yeah. kind of urban bourgeois and so on that you could just have an entire almost an entire economy just based on knowledge yeah free um, trade the world is your is your blue collar industry yeah exactly yeah you can just get other developing countries to do all that stuff and so they created this vast class which and, and they're th- this this overproduced class of people turns out that that actually doesn't work very well right you can't actually have um a a country just based on that and so you have this overproduced class of people that are just wreaking havoc because they can't um because you know sending everyone to college turned out to not not be a great idea we can't just have everyone working in the knowledge economy that it's not sustainable to have an entire national economy based on, on that. Now, Malcolm, who you were speaking to uh, on the last one was saying that he, well, actually he was saying it on something else, but he takes a very dark view, which is basically that the elites want to keep this system and they want to essentially like, like cleanse, I guess, or like euthanize the former uh, labor strongholds, the former working class. So what's left outside that is no longer necessary. Like, so in other words, he's saying, 
the elites still believe you can just have a knowledge economy and all the other mm. developing nations can do the manufacturing and you just have to basically k- slowly kill your uh, former working class through, um, you know, just like poverty, drug addiction, so on. Um, Low birth and- rates too. Yes, yes. And then you just bring in a temporary, like a service sector immigrant labor force to do all the, uh, to do, to service the, to be the butlers of the, the um, knowledge economy class. Um, that could be yeah. very mechanistic. I mean, the, the, the people are like, oh, they, they hate white people. Well, yeah, you, you, you're not going to, if you're a native born United States white guy, um, you're not going to deliver Taco Bell for $9 an hour. Mm. And someone who's, uh, you know, shipping renumerances back to somewhere else uh, will. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's the the ongoing political conflict that we had for the last four years. Uh, that mm. It was pretty much laid out explicitly in 2016. You, you people, mm. you're done. We don't need you anymore. Actually, yeah. you're just kind of a pain in the ass because you keep making all these quote-unquote bad political decisions and we were talking about this before we recorded and you were uh, you had some some pretty uh, some nice insights about why i don't know if you would call the ruling class a bureaucracy whatever 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 name you want to put on the swamp why do they hate donald trump he hasn't been terribly effective at pretty much anything other than lowering their taxes what is it about him that that would makes them so angry that they tried to impeach him? They just wanted to completely destroy him. What is it? Mm-hmm. What, what is it about the guy they hate? Um, well, you know, I, I I remember I used to say sometimes to other people on the left, like in in um, in in sort of semi private conversations, I would like try to challenge them, and I would say, you know, isn't it weird? Like, or isn't it at least cause for a bit of self questioning and self-examination that if you go out there and you say, you know, here, here's my, um, here's a picture of a guillotine and uh, I want to smash capitalism and kill the ruling class. You, you, you could, you could put like, uh, eat the rich or whatever on like a tote bag and just be, and just walk right into a totally high status NGO job. Right. So in other words, the 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 there is it, it, there's something about uh the what the left is saying that the ruling class clearly just doesn't find very threatening in any way um and there is something about Donald Trump that they find incredibly threatening to a point where I have been scratching my head for a long time about this like what his economic policies I can see how they threaten um kind of globalization to some degree but they're not very radical economic policies as far as i can see they're not a, they're not a, as much of a break um from what came before that would warrant this uh 24 hour 7 days a week panic that has been going on now for 4 years and so what i was suggesting is maybe that Trump represents a kind of domestic rebel nationalist uh, in a uh, collapsing or at least somewhat in crisis empire. Um, And, you know, so if you think about how empires of the past, like what was the death knell for them? um, It it, it was often not, um, you know, just a 
random uh, uprising of the people. That's kind of like the romantic idea of history that is just wrong. And many of us have, um, you know, vic- the victors always say that's what happened, but it's not really what happened. Um, or they say an empire collapses because of the anti-imperialist movements in the colonies. And they undoubtedly <laughs> are a sign that it's collapsing. But really nationalism in the core is a, a kind of anti-imperial nationalism in the core is is what spells the end. Um, and when we were speaking before, I, I um, was talking about the parallel of a figure like Ataturk, um, who carved out the kind of modern Turkish nation out of the collapsing Ottoman Empire. So the leftists here are nationalists like Donald Trump, and they don't understand that he's not saying, I want to... His style of a nationalism um, is not saying we want to dominate the world and, you know, go to war all over the world and... um, make everyone an American and so on. It, it, it is a quasi-America first. It's not, it's not as ideologically coherent as like Buchanan or somebody like that was on the America first stuff, but it's there nonetheless. And so in that way, he's kind of ignited. Um, he's ignited that uh, sense. He, he's, he's taken the, um, the, the kind of regional and class antagonisms between the heartland working class and the hub city elites. And he's, he's touched on that. And he's also, um, by bringing in the anti-war stuff, he's also connected that to kind of an anti-imperial uh, nationalism. And so they're right to be as scared as they are because... You know, and at this point, you always have to deal with the with the nitpicking leftists who will say, "Oh, but you know, actually, there are drones here and there, and you know, he's not really an anti-war president." So on, you know, with Trump, he's a total basket case, and he's all over the place, and he says contradictory things all the time. But that's missing the point. The fact that he's not a hundred percent ideologically coherent at all times is totally missing the point. He has he has linked um, a a class antagonism with a regional antagonism with a imperial one, basically, uh, which is that the domestic working class don't feel that being an empire that dominates the world actually serves them very well. I, I'm that I'm I'm the target audience. I'm jet ski dealer. <laughs> mm. I'm not a gentle, compassionate person that opposes war for its own sake. I'm not affected by news of mass deaths far away. I don't give like I, I don't give a shit about Palestine and Israel. Okay, um, I would probably support a Roman style empire where I got a slice, <laughs> but the empire is it's just a fucking hack to steal from me and launder it to people who hate my guts yeah it's bullshit yeah everybody's been talking in the last few days about you know we could have a possible civil war after this election yeah, yeah. there's going to be violence in the streets and all and, and blah 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 uh it's very important to pick out a key thing she said there about you know th- this comes from the inside and it comes from anti anti-imperialist sentiment in the empire and it's sometimes sometimes it is kind of it's kind of left-wing sometimes like what it wasn't portugal's the end of Por- portugal's empire was kind of like a left-wing military coup not not communist right but 
I mean, technically, nationalism is left-wing, which is the weird thing. But, yeah. you know, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, historically, that, that you know, it, it, the, the nationalists were um, the thorn in the side of uh, previous um, international elites, monarchies, and so on. I, I, I was thinking, I was listening to your last episode with Malcolm, and me and Malcolm have been talking about this kind of for a while, this idea that you have this uh revolu- this vanguard like uh, surplus uh elite aspirant class who are just going who are going to get what they want no matter what the cost to the rest of the society so they they Malcolm's view is that they're going to they're the the the, the real class project of so-called millennial socialist awakening was actually to just funnel as much uh, wealth as possible to the knowledge economy, to the creative economy, where they all work, and then to also um, yep. to, to kind of create these guild rules um, yep. so that they could sure. then protect uh, the, protect the sector so that they would have they would be able to rule over it. And so they turfed out all the other people like the me too movement turfed out all the men <laughs> and then the, all the rest of it just, they, they got rid of basically everyone they didn't want and created then jobs for themselves. Um, this latest BLM thing is really about a massive jobs program for these people as well. Right? Like that massive. Yeah. And, and they will that think of all the jobs that will be created in, in yeah. just, administering this like every worker in the country now has to go through uh a like a merit yeah tell that story about indoctrination camp about that that law they're passing in virginia which you need for uh uh child care oh uh that was uh, that was in dc uh, but you had the in DC they decided that you they're, they're, uh, the town the city council either is there was one job in old there was one job that through our entire lives that you can do if you're a literal child. Sorry, yeah, continue t- taking the child care. They made it so, or have or are trying to make it a law that you need a college degree to be involved in child care to be a babysitter. Day, yeah, if you want to work in daycare, <laughs> you have to have a. a bachelor's degree yeah but what what which i mean that's that's clear the most obvious credential the uh, things or thing but something happened today that made made me mad and i'm going to force you guys to to hear about it virginia military institute uh very old military academy here in virginia uh stonewall jackson which i'm sure you, i'm sure even you've heard of right <laughs> you know who he is civil war general for the south yeah yeah, uh, he threw the first brick in uh, San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> so he was an instructor at VMI. Uh, the VMI cadets who fought in the Civil War during the Civil War called themselves the Stonewall Brigade. He was a hero. Uh, the local highway here is named after him. Uh, we, we, we love Stonewall Jackson. He was the biggest celebrity from VMI. They're taking down his statue now. And but here's the, that's not the important part for this discussion. 
In addition to that, they are establishing a permanent diversity and inclusion council. And it was just, you know, this little thing, we're going to establish this permanent diversity thing. We're going to hire, you know, three or four people who are going to be a per- permanent diversity and declu- uh, inclusion officers for the Virginia Military Institute. This this is something, so there was a move we saw, like, I really like the uh, the Evergreen story, because you got to see a lot of things that were coming out. So one of the things that he did, so that guy, um, it looks like he's getting bullied around and stuff. He was a fucking genius, the dude who took over Evergreen. Uh, yeah. by, by the way, he walked into that job. When he walked into the job, Evergreen was the only public institution where all the professors had all the power. Like, uh, if you were a professor, you serve, like, you either did your, uh, you, you would switch off, like, this year I'm going to teach, and next year I'll serve on the board. And the administrators have zero power, right? And so um, this guy took this job. He said when he got the job, he's like, so presidents of Evergreen un- typically last less than, what, three years, whatever, right? And he says, I'm going to change that. And, and he took total control. He, the professors gave up everything. Um, and, and but anyways, how he did it was that he he introduced a diversity and inclusion uh, committee or whatever, and then he put them over everything else. So everything else had to go through them. They could hire and fire anyone, and then by by putting himself over that, then he could control it. I think that's a technology we're going to see a lot. Yeah, that's terrifying. And that's why one thing we were also talking about just before we started recording is like I see a lot of. Um, okay, so when when we talk about all of this social class stuff, I think there are people who are on the right wing of the culture wars who think that we're just being dogmatic Marxists just for the sake of it because we can't really, because we have some emotional ties to, to the left or something like that. But, I, you know, I really think they should give these ideas, really take them seriously and think them through because... I think that there is no explanation for what's happening that is better than the one that Malcolm articulated in your last episode. If you look at, for example, um, so Barry Weiss wrote a, is it, yeah, she wrote a, com- a, a, a an essay in like tablet, right? And she was, ma- this is just like about a week ago. And she was making this case that this cultural revolution is illiberal, basically, right? That it's a, it's an anti-liberal movement and that it, it's going to fundamentally destroy all of these liberal principles that are very important to her. Well, um, if you listen to John Gray, right, John Gray wrote a piece, uh, just uh, the British philosopher John Gray wrote a piece a couple of years ago, maybe two, two years ago or something, um, in one of the big uh, review of books, p- journals, I can't remember which one it was, talking about hyper-liberalism and he was making he was using political philosophy as she was to construct this case that this cultural revolution is a form of accelerated liberalism in other words that it's like a the inevitable result of some of the foundational principles of liberalism um and so when you're reading either piece you could be equally convinced by either one uh while reading them because both of them are able to marshal enough evidence of hyperliberalism in his case and illiberalism in hers. But I really think that ultimately, uh, and obviously they can't both be right. Uh, so I really think that ultimately thinking of all of this in terms of political philosophy is a dead end because yes. the movement that we're seeing really isn't philosophically coherent. Like, 
they're all over the yes. place, right? They, they're, they're ultra, like on, on the sexual revolution, they're ultra puritanical one moment, ultra libertarian the next. Um, and just about on any issue, they're actually not coherent at all. So then you have to say there's something else going on, that this isn't, that this is not the way to understand uh, what's going on here. Um, if you look at it as a culture war, um, what I was going to say was that a lot of, pe- I've noticed a lot of people who are very invested in this idea of winning the culture war, who are on the right will say, um, oh, this bubble is going to burst. They're they're going to go too far and everyone will rebel against them. Fucking but wrong. It's so wrong, you know? Like, if you understand where does power lie, where is wealth accumulated, um, how do the balance of forces of social classes work, you have a much better chance of understanding the fact that actually a very tiny portion of the elite can absolutely tyrannize over the vast majority of people for a hundred years. And like, there's no, there isn't just a spontaneous uprising of the people that doesn't happen. Um, the, the, the one thorn in their side, and it's a very small one really is democracy itself because Mm-hmm. There, because there is no popular power anymore, right? Because there's no organizational mechanism for popular power. Uh, the voting is really the only little thing that's left. And given that that's the case, I mean, look how much it goes against their will at every turn. They can't stop. Like they can't make people vote the way they want, and they're trying everything. They are throwing countless billions at this project to terrorize people to force people and they they still can't make them do it now imagine if there was genuine mechanisms for popular power uh where you could actually hold them to ransom you could say like for example if they were uh you know if if the trade union movement was as strong as it once was you could say we're not delivering anything unless you do what we want or we're not whatever it might be now that's all gone and so the elites can do whatever they want to the majority and this Except idea for Jim that, yes, <laughs> well, you see, he's organized, right? As you said before, um, uh, but but in, in in most cases, they there's not going to be this. Um, I don't know what these culture war people think. I don't know how they think power works, but they have this idea that 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 popular unhappiness will just sort of magically manifest. Um, and that's not how it works. Um, mm-hmm. So, and also with that in mind, there's every reason to think that things might actually get a lot worse because um, within all the elite institutions, which were already so bad that by 2016 you had a populist revolt against them, now they have gotten a million times worse because they have actually ousted, they, they have basically done a coup against the kind of half-hearted liberals who were in there, and they've replaced them with absolutely cutthroat ideologues, uh, you know, uh, everywhere, in film, in newspapers, in all of the media, in academia, in every elite institution, the kind of um, the Mark Lilla type of uh, thoughtful, moderate liberal kind of person has Glenn Greenwalls, the Lee Fangs. Yeah, I mean they have been booted out, and the the 
Well, I think they're a slightly different case because they... As of Friday, Lee Fang is still employed. Yeah, but I think they're a slightly different case because they they, they actually are a threat in the sense that they um, are in a very good position to band together and... um, and make it at least very they embarrassing. Have a duty to some, they have a duty to some... So they're in the narrative business. And if you're in the narrative mm. business, you have a duty to anything else, which in their case, I believe is this, like, um, this this romantic... I don't know about... Uh, Lee Fang is just a baller. But with, with Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi, they have, like, this... Um, uh, romanticized notion of the old uh, 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 reporter with the pork pie hat, mm-hmm. and he's got he's writing mm-hmm. in shorthand, and um, mm-hmm. and and they have this like professional machismo of like uh, I'm a serious journalist, you don't fuck with me, and they're in the narrative business, and we can't when we have um, a, a democracy, and you fuck around, and you're in the narrative business, uh, you got to go. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I don't like that framing necessarily. I get what you're saying, but so they're trying to do they're trying to do journalism as journalists, and that's you can't have that. The job of a journalist is not to do journalism now; it's to be a handmaiden for progressive politics. And if you're not doing that, then you're fucking up. And that's why, right, right. But they they, they don't they have this they have this ideal in their head. They're, they're they who, who's that the the '70s guy who um, went on tour with the uh, the motorcycle gang. Um, Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, they, they, they're like they have this like manly machismo of like this is my business and I'm I'm fucking good reporter and I break this. You know what I mean? They're just honest. That that's that's all you have. Just being honest is enough to put yourself in, in extreme danger. However, Glenn Greenwald went to to Substack, and you can uh, people can do that. Go on Patreon uh, and and do this. And you saw that his, his, some of his former colleagues really complaining about that, that he's going to be able to go on Substack and he's going to be able to make a living probably because what they sell, the the narrative that they produce at the behest of, of whatever, uh, nobody, people don't really want it. It, it, it. Every year they get paid less and less. It's less becomes a less prestigious job. It's just bullshit. People don't really want it. It's something that's like, it's a, uh, it's, it's crap being shoveled out to, to maintain narrative control. Uh, people do want what, Glenn Greenwald selling. They, they. Uh, if, if Lee Fang leaves Intercept, there'll be people who are very interested in reading what, whatever he gets into next. Yeah, that's true. And I, I saw people. I usually find that like real, um, real scumbags like Doug Henwood are like a very good oh, way oh. of you. You really know who's a shitty person when he's supporting them. Like that. That's like a good shorthand. If you just you want to cut through all spending hours and hours finding out something you just kind of look at who he's supporting and who he's attacking and you you get a sense of like what the worst most cynical weasels are following like he he is following so he of course was saying well um i think glenn greenwald is is uh he, he he was just being edited and basically he he was retweeting all this stuff that was saying like he's just a grifter who's trying to uh, make money off of like, uh, you know, repackaging himself as a canceled person or whatever. I mean, you know, how do you, this is like, it's always projection. Yeah, they it, always it really, project. Like, you know, they have to, it, you like, you could just go like the grifter thing makes so little sense. Like, you could just go like Glenn is a, is a qualified lawyer. He could just be a lawyer, right? 
he doesn't need to have to have this constant headache and to be in the middle of this endless like really high stress like war where where you've got like a dozen people doing probably full time opposition research on you twenty four hours a day. Uh, you know, nobody wants that. So the idea that he's just a grifter, just being cynical is so, you know, it, it's not even, it, it's so stupid, it's not even worth thinking about really. Uh, it's, so, it, it, it's projection it's because someone like Doug Hemwood, who's a fucking slimy, wrinkled potato looking ass key party grandpa, <laughs> he, he couldn't exist in any other ecosystem but the very fucking bottom you know, sucking on sucking on the dirt floor of the of the riverbed like a catfish. <laughs> that is the only place that he could be dug in with. Yeah. So he's going to say that because that for him that is true. Oh yeah. And that's what they do constantly. And I despise that man. Yeah. I hope you hear this, Doug Hamwood. Fuck you. <laughs> You're a piece of shit. I saw your interview with Justin Murphy. He's probably been broken in this idea by now. It's, it's going to sound retarded as I say this because you're like, <laughs> uh, we're here now. So people say, um, you know, people like Amy Therese, people like Anna Ketchian, people like Angela Nagel. Well, you know, this this is all, this is just how you make the easy cash, man. You you, you just uh, be, a, be a rebel and, uh, you know, and, and drop some hot takes. Motherfucker, no, being a rebel, being an actual rebel it sucks ass yeah um the, it, chris hayes makes a shitload of money i don't want to dwell yeah. i mean i don't want to dwell on this because uh you know it's like present company here <laughs> no even at the low end if you want if you want money uh, you just repeat whatever harvard says there's that guy um ibrahim x Kennedy, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Uh, he's one. Of the, uh, he had this like insane take on uh, the Amy Comey Barrett or whatever, where mm-hmm. he's like, uh, you know, um, just I don't remember what he, he said. Some really d- uh, disgusting thing about uh, her adopting her adopted children. He's like, she wanted to do it to dominate black people and make them their slaves. <laughs> All these ridiculous things. It was co-signed by uh, our friend Richard Spencer, by the way. I mean, he got the <laughs> the big brain, the CNN analyst. Um, uh, he said that, and you know, like two days before, uh, Jack from Twitter had just gave him like fifty million bucks. Like, hey man, yeah. love your work, dude. Here, here's here's some cash. Don't follow if you want to make a shitload of money. Don't don't be like Angela, Amy, and Anna. No, 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 no. Or or, or Murphy. He got fucking shit canned for just having a hot take, right? But yeah. By the way, Angela, when we were on that show, I spent like two or three dollars to get to get him to ask you. If Scots Irish people were really Irish, just oh. just so I could play it for bog beef. Oh, <laughs> I think I answered that as well. Did I? You you did. Yes. Yeah, you, yeah, I wanted yeah. you to denounce Scots Irish for my. Uh, <laughs> no one likes us, and we don't care. That's the that's like the rallying <laughs> cry of the Scots Irish. <laughs> No, but I, I'm not even joking. That that was actually that was actually the title of a book that was written about Ulster loyalism. Um, no one likes us, and we don't care. It, it, they're they're these the Dup people are like physically like repulsive. Well, well the, but you know, it's the, like the, I don't this, I don't know what to say. Like like. Like this is this is supposed to be my you know you're supposed to have pride in your whatever like when you see the people from the dub like they're just people from um, the what 
the w- w- there was this brief moment where people like uh, where people, the DUP party. Oh, they had oh. to form this weird alliance. Like they needed the them to to, yeah. to secure the alliance. So they they brought these people out from fucking Northern Ireland. Yeah, they're the they're the Protestant. By the way, they're like you know the uh, the the Catholic side. Like they're they're little murals and stuff. Yeah, they're yeah. like they're very inspiring and beautiful. Yeah. and then on the Protestant <laughs> side, it's just like a, it's just it's just like a, a violence and machismo <laughs> and, and cave paintings. They got one. You showed you. He showed me one time they have one of Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee <laughs> in Protestant Union. No, they they, they really embrace being. What's the, the deal with it? They really What's embrace the being this? the bad guys. It is actually very funny. Oh yeah, they, that, we, that makes sense. No, it's so funny. Um, actually, somebody was telling me before um, that they went uh, to Ireland uh, like as a tourist, you know, and they they went to the north. And they didn't know that much about the the conflict there or anything. And uh, they saw like they were in a Catholic area, and they saw the murals, and they were all like, um, uh, you know, different kind of anti-colonial struggles around the world. And uh, you know, as you say, like very inspiring. And many of them are like Nelson Mandela and things like that. Uh, and, and then you go, <laughs> and then you go to the loyalist areas, and they're just like uh, the way this person. I, I don't know if this mural actually exists, right? But the way this person described it to me was like, um, like a, a basically like a, tags, like being being speared, you know, like <laughs> like the the uh, you know the like uh catholics like being murdered you know like in this very supposedly glorious way but yeah it's just like they 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 just embrace i don't know like they they do seem they they embrace being the bad guys and no one likes us and we don't care is like their whole mentality but you know they're very the the funny thing is like um there is this divide between the more working class loyalist kind of uh uh culture or whatever and the more respectable uh, upper class unionist one, and they they're very different kinds of people. And even like the Anglo Irish, who um, you know used to own all the land in Ireland and stuff like that, the Anglo Irish were like very um, art loving. You know, like they. they you know, they they were very kind of old fashioned elites in the sense that they, you know, um, they they were kind of like very cultured uh, gentry, basically. You know, so so just like totally different kinds of people. But the yeah, the Ulster loyalists are just like bulldogs. They're just like they don't. They're just like really tough, and they cannot oh, yeah. be moved, and they don't care if everyone hates them, uh, and they're just like absolutely belligerent you know um it's a very american attitude that's fucking dope <laughs> not surprisingly because there's so many i need to get into this yeah um. no it is it is pretty interesting <laughs> i i i i used to i went through a period there of listening to lots of um ian paisley um sermons uh and they're they're really fascinating actually to listen to but one thing i was thinking of was that ian paisley really used that kind of like tin shack uh you know, Protestantism to, uh, as a kind of, as an ethnic, like as a uniting ethnic kind of force. And um, I'm very interested in why Protestantism in America has been so absent in 
all of the cultural oh. revolution that's going on. I, I don't know why. This and, is and, a, at, and at the same time... Going to get fired here. At the same time, Catholicism has made these huge inroads into the elites. Um, I, I started oh. noticing this a few years ago, but I... You know, because like in Ireland, like Catholicism has obviously suffered enormously in terms of like public trust and stuff like that. And it's it's not, you know, the, the only people going to mass in Ireland are sort of like old people, basically. Um, and so it's not seen as the way of the future in any way. And then it was very strange because when I came to America, I started meeting all of these young, highly educated Catholics who were kind of like quite elite in a way, uh, in the sense that they were highly educated and stuff, and they had their own, they had their own kind of milieu of people. Um, and then, yeah, and then you have these kind of Catholic intellectuals, like the Patrick Deneens and people like that. But like Protestantism is just totally non-existent. So I'd love to hear your theory on that. You obviously have one. <laughs> They're not. They're not non-existent. It's just you're not going to find them in those circles. As for why it's they're non-existent in the among the elites, uh, I would say for one thing, the, the there were elite Protestants in a very recent uh, recent past. But however, like wasps, a mainline Protestantism, right? Mainline Protestants, uh, United Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, <laughs> that's Episcopalian. those those people are not. Good. Yes. Uh, they, they, <laughs> oh man, I don't want to get fired. Uh, so let me, let me, hang on. We, hang we on. both come, we, He and I both come from the this evangelical is a up topic, right? The evangelical branch of Protestant religion. So yeah, we we're not we're not we don't f- have great feelings about mainline Protestantism, which has right. essentially been was infected with uh, the successor ideology a long time ago, and that mm. has. Uh, Taken the poison pill and killed itself, and that's mm. and all the elites who were part of that are now uh, secular. They, they had the new religion, which is the one that's go- making people go insane mm. right now. Mm. Uh, if you're a, you know if you're a Southern Baptist guy and you feel very strongly about um, abortion, you're going to need to make a deal with someone who went to to Notre Dame to get mm. that done for you because mm. you don't have a Protestant Notre Dame. There's mm. no Southern Baptist Notre Dame. There's like a uh, there's the old Jerry Falwell school with you know maybe you can learn to be a real estate uh, agent or something there. But uh, church church, uh, church membership most stuff has declined massively. So now you you have what you have left is like a core of uh, of people that are more into it, right? And, and the two the two things that developed is uh, just like in every other form of of any business, society, culture, everything. There's a massive consolidation. So basically, now, and like physically, like the the Catholic Church and the Southern Baptist. Uh, the SBC are like the two big institutions that are left, and what it's interesting. What, the, so there, you know, the, in America we have there are married Catholic priests, and basically how that works is that you're like an Episcopalian or something. Um, the woke SJWs have like uh, they took over like this church and that church, and they um, uh, they don't go to church, but they sort of went to these churches long enough to take over the institution, sell off all the, the seminaries and stuff. So like, it's just now it's like, well, what do we do? We don't have like a national body or whatever. The Catholic church comes in. It's like, we'll give you some, uh, we'll give you like a room in our, in our seminary where you can send your guys. You will like ultimately answer to us. We'll let you keep doing what you're doing. And um, so like, you're now technically a Catholic priest. That's what happened to a lot of these Episcopalians and stuff. Mm. The the Bishop of Canterbury, he just, ba- he said like, listen, if you're, what, what do you call it? Episcopalian in England? Oh, I don't know. 
Church of England. Well, yeah, Church there's of England, none, there's yeah, none yeah. left. Right. So there's none left. Um, uh, so he just he just told them like uh, if you're like if you're still here and you uh, and you're against gay marriage and uh, and women pastors, which is their those are the two things that you used to split it. Uh, that, like you should like just uh, we should just have like a, a amicable divorce. Just go to a Catholic church. Uh, it's fine. I mean, there's a much simpler answer to this. Is that that's that by virtue of being Catholic, of virtue of not being uh, Protestant specifically, like evangelical Protestant, aka what uh, her one of our previous guests referred to as Americaners, you know, the, the salt of the earth scum like uh, bog beef and I, by virtue of not being that. He can be uh, someone like Kavanaugh or Barrett or whoever is, is useful. There, there are people who are they're not foreign, but they are in some ways uh, have ideas that are foreign to the founding ideology in the United States. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh or Amy Coon and Barrett aren't, aren't going to get angry about statues being removed of unless they're mm. you know their statues. Mm. So it's always have, great to have. It's always great to have this elite minority group that you can that you can use to rule. Even hey, for the Republicans, uh, they got a lot of these very well educated conservative Catholics, and the goes also goes back to the thing you mentioned before. The fuck you, I, I'm a bad guy. I don't I don't care if you don't like yeah. me. That kind of person is not easy to manage in a political mm, system. Mm. It's very fractious. It can be annoying. That's why they don't, they uh, fucking hate us and would rather us not be involved in the political yeah. process other than voting. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that definitely rings true. They have institutions to raise up leaders and there's no such other thing other than, uh, they maybe wouldn't if they weren't tied to this international thing that's based in Rome, but uh, the, the Catholics <laughs> do have institutions where you can be a little kid and you can believe all the things they believe, and you can go to good schools by, with good teachers that, that teach you Latin and all this bullshit and make you a real, a real elite, give you the real skills yeah. to be an elite. Yeah. And Protestants don't, don't have that. The, the old Protestants, the old wasps and stuff, the ones that still have a shit ton of money, they, they don't want you, they, they, they hide and they have badass jobs and finance and stuff. They got it out of the culture game. Thank you. All right, so my friend Bog Beef over here just uh, released something to our Substack, the good old boys. So I don't know what's on there. It kind of scares me, but it's all his writing. He just wrote uh, uh, an article that I'll, I'll give you the simple and stupid version because that's how we like to do things around here. He says that if you want to think about what capitalism is, then you should be thinking about nothing but capital investment. That should be what you view capitalism is, as. And that's what you have to deal with. What do you think of this? Well, okay. So I was, uh, I was, I was watching this video the other week and, um, I sent it to Merrick. This is this, this very well produced video. Yeah, everything, yeah. uh, 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 Mitch's Smallbook had a statement that, like, you can tell how right wing a website is by how bad the, uh, the, the, uh, graphic design is <laughs> yes. like the worse it is, the more right wing it is. So, and it was a very well produced video and stuff. And um, the guy was talking about, like, you know, uh, I'm a big socialist. And, you know, the way to understand this is, you, uh, like, um, you know, you're 18, 19. You want to start thinking about, about, uh, about just get, get, your, get your hands on what capitalism is. Um, start reading Adorno. And then you need to think about this thing called um, uh, hyper-reality and the way all, way all this culture is influenced. You know, there's this uh, – uh, 
let's not get into it. Basically, you know, all this like super mega deep, like, like, uh, 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 analysis and all this stuff. And, um, and none of these, like, uh, well, uh, th- th- okay. Um, I, I presented this to someone who's a, is a Marxist and, um, and, uh, and they were like, and this is what they said. They said, okay, so you, what's your, you're summing up capitalism to be capital investment. I said, yeah, yeah. And they, they treat this as, as macabre, bizarre. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, what do you, you, you're an expert on these things. What, what, what would you say to this? Um, yeah, I mean, that's just a, a generally good rule of thumb. Yeah. Okay, the Dutch guys, like, you had the East India Company, and uh, they did these stock certificates, and they, and this, they made this thing called capitalism. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. it's, like, unleashed, right? Like, not, like you know, you, you, can't, like, you can't, like, talk to their manager or something. Like, this is, like, a, a technology that was released, and now, like, we, it's, it's, it's almost unfathomable how do you deal with it. In, in the article, I say that, like, um, we're, we're, by the way... Um, you, this is the most communist podcast in the entire world. <laughs> the entire world. And our only policy is we would like to increase the capital gains tax rate. This is a lever of more or less capitalism. <laughs> That's basically the, the, the article. And so we, we, would, we advocate a 2% increase to the capital gains rate. And we believe this makes us the most communist podcast oh, in the entire God. world. Like, like <laughs> if you're... What what would you say of this? Yeah, I mean it's a good start. It's a it's a it's a perfectly good. Uh, it's certainly going to something uh, along those lines would do a hell of a lot more than basically almost everything else that the left is wasting its time on. Going by the orthodox definition of capitalism, if uh, my daddy gave me some money and I bought a sawmill and uh, hired Bog Beef to, to work at the sawmill for me, you know, even if I'm there working beside him, but I collect you know, a percentage off of whatever, that's capitalism. I'm stealing surplus value, right? That's the, wouldn't that be the orthodox definition? Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's where that's where their conflict with you comes in. Which is like that is capitalism, not. But, but that, who cares? That, that who cares about that anymore? Capitalism. But but, but Marx but, said that himself. Right, yeah. right. But, but I mean, getting into the weeds of like like oh like capital like I guess so you could own like a, a vending machine and the vending machine make, makes like money while you sleep and stuff and this would be like sort of a something maybe Karl Marx would take issue with. But um uh uh either way. We're getting. We've gotten uh, the people. There's a lot of people who feel very, very passionate about socialism, <laughs> and and almost and many and um, the, it basically, I was making a provocation. Like, do you motherfuckers even remember what capitalism means? Yeah, and actually, you know, uh, this is uh, this is something that Tucker Carlson has argued for. By the way. Mm. That's we, 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 uh, Can you get him on our podcast? <laughs> yeah. I'll ask. Tucker is is fucking killing it. My mom, my mom loves yeah, Tucker. Well, again, given... like you know, you just look at who who is the elite angry at. You know, it's not a coincidence. You know, if yeah. if some kind of um, you know like a if a tenured professor is saying we need to abolish the police. Right, we need to abolish the people that earn one fifth of what they earn a year. Um, th- there's no negative consequences from that whatsoever. I mean, that 
it may sound dumb, but like that is a good shortcut to telling you like how this works, you know. Um, uh, but of course, you know, if you try to impose any of these taxes, they will just hide their wealth in, in, the, yeah, <laughs> or or wherever. All the all the, there's, you know, the city of London, you know, uh, like Britain still has like former colonies that are now tax havens and stuff like that. They will hide it there. So then, what's what then becomes the uh, release valve for them? It's it's basically um, uh, globalization, right? Like the only way that you could yes. put the only way that you could put a restraint on that is through national sovereignty, national economic sovereignty, and you can't have national economic sovereignty if your if your capitalist class can just leave as soon as you ask them to do anything, to give anything, to even yeah. keep the society functioning, you know. The, the 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 thing the bull the biggest bullshit that leftists will say is like um, oh well we'll just take all the money from the rich people um, <laughs> with all the people that super and like the the one of the innovations I think came from the dissident right people like Mitch's Moldbug they were like what you ought to do is you need to find one of these people like and I'm not saying you can do this but in, by by the way like um uh. I think there's a little bit too much of people thinking like a hundred steps down the line of like why things would be impossible. Because, uh, but uh, you know, work out the longhand math here. But it, so um, I don't. I like starting in the naive premise, and this is like one of these things, right? So he's like, no, no, no. What you need to do is you need to track down one of these people, these powerful people like Bezos or uh, or uh, Bill Gates or whatever, and force a crown on their head, and and be like. Oh, you're 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 like a, a minor monarch figure. You are tied to the to the economics of this place. Like you you have um uh th- this is why that th- this is one of the reasons why they, they sort of develop an idea. You of, now have an obligation, not just you don't just have the goodies. You have an obligation. But you, as you said, you can't do that because right. there's things like a capital strike. Boom, gone. See you later. You. But you know, in the United States. If there's a place in the world where you could legitimately uh, force some of the moneyed classes to stick around, it, I mean, it probably would be the United States, right? Uh, I think if the political will was there, they could do it, yeah. Because, I mean, here, here, here's the thing. I, I, when our, our former guest, Yarvin, started writing about the, uh, the bat flu thing that I, I, I didn't like asking about it, but anyway... I was thinking, you know, you can say whatever you want about the decline of the United States and the rise of China, but, like, the United States still has a Navy. It's got reserve currency. It's got, it's a, lot of, got a lot of power. If people wanted to wield some of that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's aircraft. <laughs> people ask sometimes, why do, we still, why do we have 11 aircraft carriers? Well, you don't have to think too hard to figure out why we do that. And if someone wanted to use those for... Maybe the right reasons, as Angela said before, that's not going to be acceptable to the people who are actually in charge now. Something you've hinted at as we talked is this, this comes up with Tucker a lot. This is one of the criticisms that comes up with Tucker, and uh, we've been hinting at it before, like who actually does revolutions. Um, and I guess we can begin the logic here. This is that naive thing again, uh, Merrick. So, so let's say there was a uh, uh, would it bought would it let's say you're a uh, let's say you're a, a working class schmuck. 
Would it <laughs> would it okay. bother you terribly if there was if you were being quote unquote represented uh, by a disaffected elite rather than someone who is exactly like you? No, of course not. I mean, no. If, he, if he's doing what it, if he's doing something for me, I don't care. I don't care where he came from. Um, I'm, what, what do you think this left fascination with? Because uh, uh, you can see this with Trump. They're like, well, he's not just like you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, this is like representative government thing. And, and, and like uh, disaffected elites, like they know how to talk. And, and uh, well, what do you, wait, sorry, what do you think? But I, I, I followed your work a lot. And I noticed whenever you read reviews of Angela Nagel stuff, people are like, these, like, uh, they rate, they rate interviews of you with, uh, how much they let you talk and we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah uh, i mean the thing is uh you know if you have a realistic view of history and of how these things work like it is usually a faction of the elite like at, 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 in revolutionary periods which we have definitely entered into uh it is a battle of different factions of the elite ultimately um in, in in healthy, stable, functional periods, you have a um, you have much more of a at least are forced into a negotiation with uh, popular organizations and stuff like that. But certainly, the way it is now, unfortunately, it really is just a battle between elites as to who wins uh, right now. And yeah, I mean, I would much rather. A given that that is, is is the case, I would much rather uh, an elite who has a sense that he or she wants their country to survive and to be functional, and they actually care about the fate of their own country. Um, the the what if they just did it for the highest ratings or or a big personal fortune or to be the king? Or yeah, no, maybe maybe that maybe that could be the case too. I mean, the thing is, you would have to ask then, what are the different factions of the elite and which ones would have an interest in, for example, uh, which one's interests would um, be less hostile to the survival of, like, the American heartland? Yeah, which of them need Exactly, us? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the problem with Trump's re-election campaign, by the way, is that he needs us and he's not really acting like he, like he does, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's, he assumes that they have nowhere else to go. Um, yeah, I mean... Well, they can get, we cannot go uh, to the polls. Yeah, and that's, 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 that's traditionally... Yeah, um, I saw recently there was this thing about like the different political tribes, you know, according to... Again, it was this thing of like measuring society according to opinions and the culture wars basically like people's cultural values and stuff like that and a lot of people were sharing it and saying oh look like the the woke people are just a tiny percentage of the population and they just thought yeah you're totally misunderstanding how power works like the fact that they're small is absolutely irrelevant because a small group of it can be useful a small group of people can can um just exert massive power over the majority very easily. Um, Jeff Bezos is, is only one guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
I mean, it, it, it's nice to know, but it doesn't really tell you that, oh, we can just get rid of them. Yeah, so you have to think about, like, what are the factions of the elite that, um, yeah. that, that wh- whose interests would most align with at least the survival, the somewhat functional survival of the majority of people? And, um, yeah, I, I, I think that the, the, the people who are... Um, who are most passionate about protecting the uh, globalization project and so on are the, the most dangerous faction of the elite, really. I mean, that's why, you know, it's sure. funny because the, the pop, you know, the way, you know, the kind of QAnon and kind of anti <laughs> what, as they would say it, like globalist like thing, right. That has emerged this kind of, um, sort of leaderless, like it's reported as just a kind of ideologically incoherent, uh, you know, kind of set of conspiracies or whatever. Um, yeah, cult. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, if you look <laughs> at the, the 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 basic ideas that are in there, they're they're, they're basically right. I mean. You know, so for example, they talk about Soros, okay? Now, obviously, Soros is not literally the one man doing everything. But the basic idea of making Soros the enemy is is that there are billionaires who who have, um, who fund massive numbers of NGOs that are socially engineering the society. Like, that's not even up for debate. That is a demonstrable fact. Um, you yes. know, it, it just is. It's not. It's not an opinion. It's not a conspiracy. It is a demonstrable fact, which you can. You just look at their budgets. You look at what they do. That is what they're doing. So, so that's one. And you know, what really pisses me off. The elitism of elitism of it really pisses me off because they 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 make fun of they make fun of people for fixating on Soros when. You know that is the that is the quickest way of basically explaining that mechanism. You know what I mean? Like you could do a lot. Worse. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, Think about how much focus they have on Tucker. Yes. Maybe. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or even Trump. Uh, and another and the other thing then is the, the the if you think of Alex Jones talking about globalists, right? Like he's become a kind of cartoonish um, figure of ridicule for this kind of you know. What, what used to be called like autodidacts, right? Like people who didn't have formal education and fi- figured out things in their own way. Um, Shocking even his supporters and how right he was about a lot. Of yeah. And, and the thing is like all he's saying with all that globalist stuff, I know he's goofy, he's tearing off his shirt, all the rest of it, ha, ha, ha. But basically all he's saying is that um, the, is that, um, there is a globalization process through which elites in a few major cities around the world are ba- have basically formed like a global class. Um, and they are at the very least not interested in the well-being or survival or anything else of what they see as an, as a, as a surplus to requirements, um, you know, working class in the, in the, countries that did all this offshoring stuff. Uh, so basically he's giving you a shorthand version of what any like really good scholar on this subject will tell you, you know, 
so so the populist thing it is a little bit all over the place and it is a little bit leaderless and it doesn't have like formal uh parties as such i mean i know there are some populist parties but it, it's a bit of a loose cannon or whatever but essentially they are getting it right these are two of the big problems that we're facing that there are uh, it's exactly what Christopher Lash uh, was describing in his last book. There are elites who, at the who, who who hate, or at the very least, are totally indifferent to the, um, the 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 working class majority, and they are totally happy being among an international elite. They don't care what countries they come from. They don't have any national allegiance to. Uh, the, the country where they're based, they just as happy being it being one country as the other, um, and they and, and so it is in their interest because they want to constantly offshore to constantly move their wealth around. It is in their interest to uh, demonize any form of nationalism that would that would be that would inconvenience their doing that in any way. So the 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 um, the kind of boomer populism that is always mocked is honestly closer to the truth. I mean, I'm not just saying that to, to be funny. Like, I mean, they, they really are closer to the truth, certainly than anything you will find in any of the leftist publications, like uh, the, the millennial socialist awakening um, type of publications or, or anything else. They should ask themselves why Alex Jones was kicked off of everything and why, uh, Richard Spencer. Is well, they should ask themselves why they are not kicked off of anything. Like why? I mean, I would genuinely love to hear an answer to that because I have asked and they just get mad at you and they don't answer you. What is the answer to that? Why is it that the if these populist uh, forces are so stupid and so laughable, why is it that they're being that the elites are going into absolute panic about them? And they're not in the slightest panicked about some bugman in Brooklyn saying, don't mourn, organize, and we're going to eat the rich. <laughs> like, you know, to, like bringing up all these, like, these, like, tr- you know, trying to LARP as like some, you know, early 20th century kind of left that just doesn't exist anymore. Um, they, they're they not scared of that, right? Because they know what you really mean is we want to siphon wealth to this knowledge economy class in order to save it. I mean, think about the kind of the, the, the traditional Tory style party, right? They served the interests of an elite that were in trouble in the sense that they were the um, nobles and the landed gentry and so on who were being um, uh, kind of outmoded by this new rising capitalist class. And they wanted representation uh, politically in order to uh, fight for their interests as a class. Well, like so-called socialism in this this whole form that it's taken on just in the last few years, this really um, it, it briefly latched onto the it, it hijacked and drove off a cliff left populism. And has now just totally uh, abandoned that and moved on to give us money or we will burn down your town. 
give us, give us our, I want, I, I want, I got an education and I'm better than you. So I want a lifetime secured tenure job writing about how I want to destroy your family and your town and your, uh, you know, ability to have any kind of social fabric whatsoever. And they will burn, they will burn your town down if you don't give them a job. Like that is basically what they're doing. They're, they're, they're completely terrorizing the public. And, and by the way, I know it sounds ridiculous, right? And if anyone thinks it's ridiculous, you only have to look at, and Peter Turchin lays out this case very well. You just look at the history of revolutions and very, more often than not, uh, they are um, led by a, uh, a, a, you have a period of elite overproduction followed by a frustrated group of elite aspirants who want to, uh, and so the things they have to do in order to save their class is they have to kick out the, some of the existing elites to create more jobs for themselves. Then they have to create very strict guild rules so that people, other people cannot uh, get in on their turf. And that's basically what wokeness is. Because as I said, it's not ideologically coherent. It's just really, really complicated and impossible to follow. And it constantly changes. And so they can get rid of anyone they want and take their job. Um, and so... Uh, and, and so they want to protect their guild. They want to boot out the slightly older elite. I mean, think about this. Like, look at, for example, how much the kind of... How much the hatred there was over the last four years or so directed at the New York Times. Now, I'm not saying... My point is not, like, leave the New York Times alone or something like that. I'm just saying the New York Times represents this kind of older generation of, like, David Brooks type of characters, right? People who have been in the elite system for a long time. They've had a good life. They've had a good run. They've, they've, um, they've had their position, uh, you know, uh, you know, pretty well protected for a long time. Well, some, um, undergrad or some graduate I should say who feels that they want their job wants more than anything else to kick them out and to become the next David Brooks and so their anger at them doesn't really like when they say to against the the argument that we're making the argument that Malcolm makes when they say well why are you attacking why are you attacking the uh, PMC when actually the capitalist class owns the means of production? You could just say to them, well, why are you attacking David Brooks when he doesn't own the means of production? He's not a factory owner. <laughs> You're attacking him uh, because you want to displace. And, and look, they've been successful. I mean, they have actually staged yeah. a successful coup inside every elite institution. Yeah. I mean, Glenn Greenwald, by the way, is the is the person who has been ousted by the coup. I mean, technically he left, but what happened there was that you had this younger faction of people who want his job um, and who want him out. And, you know, in the end he left, but like they will either fire you, they will meet to you, they will get those people out. They did it to sell Yeah, them, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw them all, uh, you mentioned Doug Henwood earlier, I saw Doug Henwood was retweeting Joe Bernstein saying how worried he was about the Substack thing, right? And they, he had this 
yeah, this yeah. picture of like the 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 most popular Substack accounts and and Sullivan and uh, Taibi and people like that were on there, um, and so yeah, they're just mad that basically the the generation that they hope to just completely destroy and replace are just like finding a, an alternative way of. Well, they'll they'll take care of that. They'll infiltrate Substack. Exactly. Then they'll Substack. That's that, you know what that's, they'll do. They'll then say we're all DSA members and we really care about socialism. And so that's why we're all going to go on strike because we're, yeah, yeah because until, we care. Until you exactly. That, yeah. 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 That's what they'll do. There is one, there is one way that intersectionality, uh, me too, uh, it is coherent and it's, it's, a, it's a dark view, but I, I it makes sense in, in the sense that, okay, you, you take, Let's say I'm a I'm a member of this aspirant elite. You're talking, I'm sorry, aspirant elite, mm-hmm. like you like you said. I want to clear out the competition. All right, who who who's going to be the devil in my scenario? The worst kind of person you could have. Well, how about really driven men who have who behave mm-hmm. in a certain way, in uh, ways that in the past. Uh, okay, Don Draper yeah, from yeah. Mad Men, right? He's a very driven person. That's the worst kind of person you can be. What is the ideal, the ideal, the most moral subject? It would be a, you know, a person of color who's transsexual, who's paraplegic, blah blah blah. All this intersectionality stuff stacked up together. Well, you've narrowed down the 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 ideal subject to something that's so small it, it practically mm. doesn't exist. So there's never you're you're, you're never going to have to compete with with the perfect intersectional subject because mm. they don't exist. And if they did, there would be so few of them. They're not going to mm. be a problem for you. So you can forever be pushing people who are one step to the right, and that's literally what this progress. You know what the progressive mm-hmm. stack is. So we have a friend who went to a work. Uh, HR mandated diversity thing, and they had a, basically made them sort themselves out by level of privilege from descending to a from mm. uh, from the bottom to the top. You literally line like, up okay. by race and general. yeah, oh, you're yeah, you're also well, so, well, you're a straight white woman. Well, you're one step you're one step to the left. The straight white man obviously sort of right. So when, when you do this, uh, you can always as long as you're one step to the left, you can keep pushing people mm. out forever. And that's like the only way it makes any sense. And from that perspective, it Mm. works. Yeah. I mean, and at the very least you can say, you know, the whole thing is basically a entirely uh, elite constructed ersatz egalitarianism (laughs) because they can't create real equality, which always comes from wealth. Um, they, they they won't um, they won't budge an inch on that, and so they have to create a totally fake egalitarianism, uh, which just so happens to um, you know serve the interests of of the, the the class interests of themselves. I mean, you know, that's that again. Like that's why I was saying, like I I really don't want I really don't want people to think that this is just some dogmatic Marxist tick that we all have as a hangover or something. I mean, I really am convinced that it is the best explanation for what's going on because I, I really haven't heard a better one, you know. I mean, for example, the taboo, the really taboo one is the racial one, right? But then how do you explain the fact that all the Black Lives, like most of the Black Lives Matter protesters are white? Um, yeah. And how do you explain the fact that the people... <laughs> 
who are so the, the woke class, if you like, the people who are really the backbone of, of the um, of those pushing this are not just a social class in the broad sense of like proletarian, middle class, bourgeois, whatever. They're a really, really narrow section of the elite, a very mm. specific one. I mean, this is why Malcolm has made this case, and it's very convincing. I've been thinking about it constantly since we talked about it, which is that the only way to defeat them, you can't argue against them, right? Uh, you can't do anything like that. They'll just demonize you, make you look like a fool, and then eventually deplatform you. Um, we don't have the popular organizations to... They would take a long time to build back up again, um, and that is a very hard task. Um the only thing that you can really do is basically turn off the tap. You can try to cut off as many supplies of money to them as possible. Yes. So here's what I say. Our answer to all of their abolish uh, everything. Abolish abolish, yes. Defund the left. Abolish the universities. Abolish the NGOs. Take their money and give it to the people. That's what hung, that's what Orban exactly. Just put it back into way. the welfare system. If one kid gets to go to the dentist, and one uh, totally socially destructive, out of control bug man doesn't get to do a PhD, that's two wins for society. <laughs> so every sing, so every populist party should make this part of their suite of uh, like policies, and. If you do that, you know, as I said, the only thorn in their side is the fact that ordinary people have only one thing left, and that is the ability to vote. I'm not, like, I'm not, I'm not well, um, in any way, uh, you know, idealistic or, like, Pollyanna-ish about that. I know it's very limited, everyone's bought off, all that. I know that. But given the what we can do is so narrow, that is something that is left to us. And if you run on a platform, like a Robin Hood platform, of I will, I will take the wealth of these people who are destroying society and I will redistribute it um, to the most basic needs of society. Uh, you can get elected on that. And, and, and if right. neither of the parties, yeah, I know the donor system, all that, it's very complicated. But for example, if a populist figure was to run using the Bernie Sanders model, a true populist, using the Bernie Sanders model of, of uh, popular funding was to run and say, I will de- I, I'm going to defund the left and redistribute the wealth to the heartland. Like that, that's, that would work. That would be popular. And the best thing about it too is that it completely takes the mask off these people and it forces them to say, no, I no, I want you to take money from these basic social services and give them to my um, art project or my stupid socially destructive NGO or whatever it might be. Because at least then you have forced them to explain what their true class project is. Uh, so, so we're talking about the, it, it's very limited social class of people that that make up this you know these these PMCs. Oh, they really don't like you people. Uh, they, they're smart. They, they don't like people saying PMCs. They, they're very intelligent. They don't like being identified. Mm, that's mm. It's very intelligent. Being if you can be identified, uh, you know if it bleeds, we mm. can kill it. Um, <laughs> it. One of the things I thought so in America, you know, we have elites in New York. We have elites in California. Yeah, um, we have like uh, they're not like 
um, we'll cut to the chase. Okay, in England, and uh, I, maybe we can extrapolate this to Ireland, like, you know, everything that happens happens in London. Like, mm. you could have, like, literally, like, all the entire elite, like, um, have each other's self. Yeah, them. oh, yeah. They do. Is this a thing? Like, like, it, like. So I've said this before on Twitter. Like when, but when all this this Corbyn stuff came out, I said like, look, I don't ever, I'm never going to comment or analyze British politics because I believe it's just a literal conspiracy. Like these people just literally all <laughs> fucking know each other. Yeah. Like they all went to fucking. Uh, oh, they, they not only went to the same college, they did the same course. There's a uh, P and E or whatever. Yeah, politics, philosophy, and economics. Yeah. So they all know each other. And it's absolutely the same in, in New York. I mean, even like within the Bernie world, right? All the people who thought that Bern, that they were going to get, they were going to be the new leaders of Bernie world. Um, well, they unionized. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I saw a little bit of it before I left. Like they, they all hang out together. They all know each other. Every annoying media figure you know, is probably having drinks right now, actually, you know, together uh, somewhere. Um, they, they, they all, you know, so so the idea that they don't conspire is, like, absurd, you know. What else do they talk about? It, it, like, th- there's something about Twitter and, and talking and, like, you, you like, uh, I would never try to convince people of all this stuff. Like, you kind of have yeah. to see it. You have to see it, like, th- like uh, the fucking news media. The entire news media is like coordinated in like three group mm. DMs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Twitter's great for this. You, we, how much have you and I learned just from being on fucking Twitter to see how how connected these people are? They, I would have never believed it beforehand. Like Chris, I, do you think Chris Hayes has the ear of powerful people? Well, yeah, he fucking he. We know he does. Did, by you the way, see it. by the way, back to the Richard Spencer. That that's why he's in the mix because like, uh, like he he's one of he them. threw parties and like if you hung out and if you were in D.C. and you were on the town, like you went to his the New York version is is the Vice guy. Um, the Vice guy. What's his name? He started the the Proud. Boys. Oh yeah, yeah. He, Gavin uh, McInnes uh, used to be the editor of Vice, I think. Yeah, there's this there's this embarrassing moment that comes up whenever they talk about Proud Boys because every PMC used to go to his parties in Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like absolutely. Every fucking one of them. No, absolutely. This is what's so funny. Like, it's this is why I say, you know, not only is it ideologically incoherent, you know, that would be a straw man if there were different people within the elite saying different things. But it's actually the same people. Like the people who are hanging out at his party, who are the totally apolitical hipsters of Williamsburg uh, back then, are now Antifa anarchists, right? With podcasts that sound <laughs> a lot like that. <laughs> uh, they're, they're actually the same people. They, they were completely apolitical, just like hedonists before. Uh, to, and kind of anti-PC in many ways, right? Because they were so just like... Uh, just apolitical. The hipster people. movement was was slightly reactionary. Yeah, it was. Yeah. No, no, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, uh, I remember a friend of mine in Ireland. So the subject of Vice magazine came up, and I was asking her, like, what's the what's the general idea of it? And she was like, Oh, it's just like 
it's just like um, pictures of war zones and tits. <laughs> and then I, you know, and that actually kind of encapsulates what it was. It was just like vaguely edgy things, you know, like doing drugs oh, yeah. in a, you know, that that cliche like type of Vice article that I think somebody created a. Uh, somebody created like yeah, 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 yeah. I did masculine in the Kyber Pass while wielding a, a machine tool to AK-47. Exactly. It was just like hedonistically observing um, countries that had serious political um, strife, looking at them as this puzzling kind of bizarre thing. But of course now, I mean, America is like that itself, right? Like uh, I think I yeah. mentioned in some piece I wrote uh, last year about uh, about Peter Turchin when I started reading all this stuff is that, you know, people in not just America, but in the West in general used to look at like people in the Turkish parliament punching each other out as this totally hilarious, b- yeah. bizarre thing. But of course we're just that, I mean, that will probably happen now, you know, like we're, we're, we're there now ourselves, you know? And, um, uh, so yeah, the, the hipsters became radicalized, um, I guess, kind of in both directions. Yeah, Portland is so hipsterish. They have a race riot that's ongoing, and, and white people on both yeah, sides, yeah, yeah. white middle class people fighting on both sides of the race riot. So it's incredible. About the the wasn't there was some I don't know, one of maybe one of these Amy Coney Barrett things or uh, whatever. Uh, there was some kind of. Um, thing that all the all the the dc politician has to go to maybe a couple weeks ago and like uh a bunch of like quote-unquote antifa people th- showed up and threw stuff at them but these are really like they were just other dc bureaucrats yeah, yeah. they're like physically attacking like who are mitch mcconnell on the street yeah or whatever. yeah i think it's so funny too that they these uh people who are against her think that we're all going to live in uh uh, the Handmaid's Tale, you know. Uh, and the- I, I can make an argument for the the Handmaid's Tale. Oh yeah, it's a sexual <laughs> fantasy. No, they that. actually do. I, they, I think it's they true. Do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course they do. I think it's no. I, I think the Handmaid's Tale thing is true. By the way, I, she's right. Margaret Atwood's okay. So think about this. So think about this. Okay, so um, there's no. Now, the way you can get around me, I already know, like, okay, there's no closed system that you can introduce liberal f- feminism to that is able to uh, maintain uh, birth rates. Like, the people would die out, right? Yeah. So the right. only Western liberal state that has sustainable uh, birth rates is Israel, and they basically farm the Hasidic people. Hmm. Um, who 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 aren't who don't accept liberal feminism? Mm, That's sort of mm. uh, okay. So if you if you have now the magic thing is here. You're, you they they sort of bring uh, you, you use immigration stuff to bring in people from non-liberal feminist uh, 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 sort of roped off areas who do who do have kids. Mm. Um, but so if you have closed systems everywhere, so if you were able, let's just take it, um, whoever, okay, so you, you can't have liberal feminism. So, and, and going all the way, like, um, there's basically, if women are allowed to be educated, um, <laughs> I'm, so we're, we're, we're adults here, we're having a serious conversation. If women, if women are educated, if women are basically not, I'm, we'll just, uh, if they're not, 
kept barefoot and pregnant. They don't if you if you don't have a social order that does that, you don't have replacement birth rate. So like um who like okay, whoever would be left must operate like that. Giving and giving enough mm. time. Like like uh, eventually there's like uh we die off and the Amish Yeah, take I was over. gonna like, say the Amish plotted out to a turn. Yeah. 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 The, the Amish don't operate like the people in the Atwood. This is just, Women it's, are not allowed to be educated. They're kept barefoot and pregnant. They're not kept in fucking harems and as sexual slaves. You, Margaret Atwood is a is is a liber, was a liberal feminist per- person. She couldn't envision an end result to. Uh, all right, she couldn't. She had to uh, portray uh, the the stock bad guys of her time as the people who would cause this to happen so so it was written that way it, no it doesn't make any sense uh, harems are not part of conservative christianity that's it's not just not true i didn't actually read it uh i but but at the same time i can see i can work. see that she was she like you still i i get what you're saying right because you have to explain like why it is that this this right. nightmare dystopia is so on the minds of all of these women, even though it's clearly the opposite to what is what we actually have, right? Which is a, a liberal feminist system, um, and and I suppose it's Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, I mean, I suppose they think that uh, they they intuitively understand that this can't really go on, and that like, yep, they, yeah, there you go, yeah. bingo. But you know, I was. This is the net. Like this is the net. This is. Um, we maybe want to cut this. I wanted to. We're gonna have to um, cut half the episode. <laughs> no, no, we're not gonna cut it. No, no. There really is a connection between uh, evangelical uh, rural America and Northern Ireland. Um, I'm gonna find this documentary I saw one time. It was in a documentary festival in this like Irish documentary festival in this cinema in Dublin which I saw years ago. And so it was very obscure, right? It was very much from the archives. And it was kind of about the links between the two. And they're actually very similar. Like, I mean, the the, the actual... They love guns too, like we do. <laughs> yeah, and they also kind of have... They, they are... Like, they've played this role as these kind of um, very, very tough... Um, uh, working people who are like ultra reactionary basically <laughs> and they don't really know what to do with them so eventually they just kind of like what they're doing with them in the north is the British state is just putting public resources into them to let them do uh, make work things uh, but you know they used to be like do you know for example that the port in Belfast that built the Titanic not the great advertisement given that it, it sank and everything but that that was once the most productive port in the world like the the the, the Protestant working class in in Northern Ireland were once the most important productive uh yeah. like powerful working class in the world and here's a really interesting historical thing um there was an organization in Ireland called the British and Irish Communist Organization. And they were a group of Marxists, very, very dogmatic Marxists, who were from the South, 
But they basically figured that the Northern Irish Protestant working class, because the Catholics were usually locked out of these uh, industries, um, the, the, the Protestant working class in, in the North had to be the revolutionary class because they were the true proletariat, whereas all the rural people in the South with this kind of not properly developed economy were, were no good, right? Um, now, historically, of course, it's not how it's worked out, but that was the theory. So they figured they had to go up to the North in the middle of the Troubles as a bunch of people from the South and try to radicalize all these ultra-reactionary uh, Northern Protestants to Marxism. And so they they set up the British and Irish Communist Organization. And so they were an, they, they, they were a party that wanted to unite the North and South along Marxist lines and to industrialize the South and everything. And here's a, oh, I was a total well. failure, obviously. Um, but they were these brilliant kind of autists. And here's this like really funny thing about them. Uh, I was, I happened to be looking up the, the history of this um, anti-nuclear movement in Ireland, right? And of course it was led, you know, there were like folk singers and various hippies like there. And there was the British and Irish Communist Organization right in the middle of it. These Stalinists, these crazy autistic Stalinists were right in the middle of it, uh, joining um, the pro-nuclear uh, side. So they were protesting the protesters um, because they thought if you bring nuclear power, that will proletarianize Ireland properly. And then you can have a real working class to work with. In, through which you can bring about your, um, that's how you get to communism, basically. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was their whole thing. They were really, uh, really in favor of, of rapid industrialization of Ireland, and that, and they thought that the, uh, the, the, the Protestant Northern working class was the way to get there. They were the revolutionary subject. The Scots Irish, like the English, the king, but he rounded up these people and just sent them to Ireland as like a human pestilence because they're just they were just <laughs> intolerable people. Like the only thing that the British and the Irish ever teamed up on is at one point they were both like, "Look, these people are just like like we like we can have like war, but like these people are just fucking sick." Um, well, they're almost like this perfect. They're almost dollars. like this perfect, like the most belligerent people on earth. So they're the, this perfect settler kind of group because they will once they're there, they will not be moved, and they don't care. Like they, they can't be bought off right. with anything, basically. Right. Um, uh, uh, the kitchen nightmares guy. Like this is how you would really do. <laughs> oh wait, what's his name? Uh. uh... Will somebody look it up? I just want to make sure we're talking about the same guy because I was actually watching him the other day. It's Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I was thinking of when I was watching him? So he was there yelling his head off at all these poor chefs and um, kitchen staff. And I was thinking, you know, this is so... like he, Okay, so in one scene, he was yelling his head off at um, these guys who were failing to make a souffle <laughs> properly to his liking. And he was like, you know, the usual thing, like, what the fuck do you call this and stuff? And they were, there were all these like big, like big, like heavy set, like men, just like really ashamed and like saying, we're going to try harder. We're going to try harder. And they, they were all under this really intense pressure to make this perfect thing. And, you know, the, 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 the customers are complaining and so on. 
And I was thinking, like, all of this absolute madness is the price of feminism. Because the traditional role, when, when, you, when women no longer play the traditional role, and when they no longer play the traditional role of making the food in the house, you have this massive, and, and then all the economic processes I was talking about where the, um, the cosmopolitan life is sort of opened up to this like new knowledge economy, middle class. Um, and they all think, well, you know, we can just eat in restaurants. We don't have to do any of this stuff anymore. We, we can just pay a, we can pay an immigrant uh, man to do the men's roles and we can pay immigrant women to do the, the, um, women's roles and we can eat out instead of cooking at home and blah 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 like that they've replaced all of these things and like ultimately we're so woke we have these little little brown slave yeah. people that, that yeah exactly that on us yeah, yeah, yeah but ultimately this group of people being yelled at because they couldn't make the perfect souffle is like the is the consequence of that right because that like the, those people out there who are like sending the souffle back because it's slightly over the top of the rim of the little uh, cup or whatever, <laughs> like th- those people are a product of this this kind of class um, project, and somebody still has to make the food, you know. And and by the way, yeah, here, I, I would, men were never supposed to be. Sorry, well, I just want to add one more thing to that, which is that. And this is the bind that we find ourselves in. Well, I don't know if you do, but I do a little bit. So if you're a very straightforward, like, traditionalist right-winger, and you just say, well, the answer to, the answer mm-hmm. to this is nation, family, church, get the women back in the home, and so on, um, then that's at least coherent, right? Like, you, you, you have an answer that goes back that, that that you have an answer to all of these things <clears throat> i think that a lot of people in our position well i'll at least just speak for myself in my position are not to, are not uh, able to operate from such a position of strength because in the case of religion for example like i struggle with religious faith i i simply can't i try to have it but i just don't it doesn't come naturally to me um Partly because probably I'm an overeducated person, so I have to say this: that there has to be a rational reason for everything, and I have to be rationally convinced of everything, because I am sort of a decadent elite myself in that sense. Um, but so I can rationally see that religion is good for society, but I also can't really be a true believer and argue from that position of strength. And so one of the arguments that the the um, very dogmatic sort of hard right make against conservatives or classical liberals is they say, and this also probably applies to me, they would say, you guys can't really battle the this new cultural revolution that's emerging because ultimately you don't disagree with its founding principles. You just want to stop at an arbitrary point that you feel comfortable with. So like, absolutely, yeah, and that is true. You can't argue with that. They're absolutely right. But at the same time, I mean, I get why women don't want to be in the kitchen all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, it, this this is yeah, this is I I, lo- I really love this. Okay, so um, 
yes, men cannot make as good of a uh, uh, like a young man is not as a promise. Like if you're a young, if you're a young woman and you see like the, the two different paths you could take, um, you would really need a really uh, 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 just um, it you know it, it happens, but in small numbers. Like uh, uh, a man, women are very very in tune to their own mm. security, and that is. Um, much the the best the best ways is, is to to do the the liberal thing. So go get an education and you go get a, a job and air conditioning. Blah blah blah. Um, uh, the 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 what's interesting is about the religious thing. That that is something. It, it's kind of like um, you know these people these the, the, the deconstructionists talk about like love like well well you know love is not real because it's not and they give these these. Uh, like a standard of of love that's sort of like uh, uh, without um, like without any reservation, mm-hmm. you know you know what I mean? And like you know, actually you know, actually uh, the thing that you guys are, are calling love, you know, it's tempered by all these like imp, imp, you know these implicit things that, that that make it not like this perfect beautiful Disney love. And it's like you, like you believe in it more, like like the like. Uh, most people don't see miracles yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like and you're like, well, you know, this this is just a functional thing in my life. I just go here because it, because it's sort of uh, get, I, I go to this this place and um, even even you don't things, need to know um, why it works. I don't need to know the yeah. mechanics of why high water and vinegar make things clean. I just need to know how to do that. And you guys and you're missing the very obvious solution to this, which is it goes back to the previous thing. Well, once you once you defund the universities and once you crush mm-hmm. the patronage networks of this PMC class, uh, the thing you said about well, the, the smart money is to go to college and get a nice indoor air conditioned job. That, that's that's all built on a, a, a it's like a pyramid scheme. Like there there people are doing work that don't, doesn't need to be done. If you got rid of that and there was some sort of reindustrialization, the calculus would change mm-hmm. immediately. What's the best move yeah, for me? Is true. it to go to college and to, to, to become a, a commissar for the Diversity and Inclusion Council, or would it be to get married to the guy who can who knows how to weld? Problem yeah, solved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. This is one of the bizarre things about male sexuality. Uh, I've told people that um, basically, like. It, because uh, you get these people like Jordan Peterson that tell you like um, you know you want to they they talk like the 1950s way like you want to present yourself as a very <laughs> honest guy who's going to work really hard and provide and be this like a um, you know in in past times like male like male sexuality was like what's hot like they they were still like um, you know I want a good looking mm. woman female sexuality was like materially mm. produced like is this guy. Is this guy a good bet where I, where I can take care of? Um, so that's not the case anymore. So like and now, like especially if you're a young guy, if you're in your 20s, like she's probably going to earn mm. more than you. So all you need to do is entertain her. <laughs> you just need to uh, if you, if you be be crazy, be be wild, you know, have big fights and stuff. You just need and, and you'll stick out because um, they don't give a shit about that because it's not going to. Um, we, no. our ties are limited. I'm moving here. I'm moving mm. there. When you're 19, all, none of these, uh, you know, we're always talking about things of path least mm. resistance and all this kind of stuff. Um, blah, blah blah. But if you believe in, by the way, if you believe in uh, objective truth, love, and beauty, then you're a theist. You just don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
That's it. Yeah. And and I definitely do like I definitely do We got her. Mission to come. But I, I it's funny because even though I, I do struggle with uh religious faith as I said, I, I definitely do I, I have carried with me like all of the um like you know, I went to a convent of mercy, like an all girls convent of mercy or whatever, and we had like you know, a lot of religious um, education and stuff. And I definitely have, and, and even before, even that aside, actually, just being around in kind of rural Ireland and, and, and stuff, I definitely did take on a lot of the taboos and the, the um, you know, the, yeah, the, like the moral guilt about certain things and the sense of what's right and wrong. I, I definitely have that, like, and that is where it comes from. Um and, but uh, but you're yeah. holding off, and you will accept the religion of your husband. This is all. <laughs> this this is how it's supposed well, to be. Um, well, I, I just unfortunately, I, unfortunately, I am just absolutely, and I don't say this uh, as a positive thing at all. I think it's absolutely terrible, actually, and it's simply not a way, a good way to live, uh, and it's not, it's not good in any way at all, really. But I am absolutely trapped in the in the that rational thing where I, I have to, I can't accept anything unless I can hear a very convincing explanation for it. I'm going to take and a crack at it. No, no. It's just, sorry. Okay, let, let, yeah. let me, let me make, uh, do, are you still uh, good on time? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so let me, let me destroy rationalism. <laughs> <laughs> just a second ago. <laughs> oh no! It started again. Oh, oh I'm sorry, Angela. I'm not sure That's what right. happened. Okay, so basically, all I'm saying oh, is a bit of a going nowhere point, really, to be honest. But all I was saying is that the, the the things that I'm trying to think through really are based on this problem that uh, I don't when 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 people who are very firmly and very with great certainty on in the midst of the culture wars on the uh, right wing side, they they have, as I said, this uh, ideological coherence that really goes back to the root of the problem. And yet, at the same time, I kind of look at it and go, I don't know, do I really want to be like a trad wife going to mass all the time? Like, you know, it's just you're, like not. You're, you're, I'm a product of my time. Like, yeah, uh, we like sleeping not, in on yeah, something. You know. that, that was a, that was. A, <laughs> I, I was having a little fun there. You're right. So um, you either, you can either be dead wrong or you can have analysis paralysis, basically, because we're in it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The people in the most opposite circumstances of that kind of thing, uh, fantasize about this trap thing. We don't live in that kind of world anymore. You're no, young no. guys. You're not going to get your if you such if you need. Uh, some kind of perfect virgin, all this kind of bullshit. Like it's not going to work out for you. The world's changing really fucking fast. It's really hard to figure out what's going what's going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that is true though. What you said about the analysis thing, like, you, I think that the people who are closest to the truth and the truth not might not necessarily be the best, um, the thing most conducive to actually like winning politically right because you probably need faith for that really. it's the opposite of it if you're intellectually curious yeah. which i think we all are this is what puts you in this asshole this bullshit corner of the world yeah yeah <laughs> is that you really totally, you really want to fucking totally know useless people. <laughs> sorry 
um, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I'm the same way. This is why this is why we followed your work for a long time. Um, I remember the, the one of the funniest uh, things someone said to you. I can't remember it was some interview, or whatever, and um, or I don't know. They, they were uh, you were ta- you were discussing ideas. You're like, well, these people think this. These people think this. We obviously think um, we basically talk to like Marxists and hardcore monarchists reactionaries. And because I'm curious, because I, I, you know, I, I'm interested in what they say. Anyway, someone's talking, and they're like, "You were like, oh yeah, I was reading about this guy, and it was someone who's not a leftist." And they were like, and they were just like, "Why, why, um, you know, those aren't left wing ideas." So what? what is, okay, yeah. Why? Why did you read that? Yeah, yeah. Why were you reading that? Because the, the 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 implication of the question was also like. I don't like this. Like, why were you, why were you thinking about that? <laughs> like, it just amazed me that somebody who, the person who asked me that was like quite an academic person. So I also thought, God, like, isn't this your job? You're supposed to be reading and kind of work out these things. It's but probably- no, it was immediately just like, that is highly suspicious. And I am going to report you. was kind of the implied thing. The real answer to all this stuff, and if you're listening to this, you're obviously afflicted by this. A certain amount of people are just going to be afflicted by, like, this is a burden. It's a condition. You want you want to know. You want to know. And you're, you're going to be fucked. You're not yeah. going to be, yeah. like, an effective yeah. political agent. You're not going to be able to form, be, form a collective like other people. You're going to think weird thoughts no. about, about all these things. You, you're you're going to be subjected to this the rest of your life. You might as well just uh, come to terms with it. It's not going to be... Yeah, that is so funny. You know, yeah, you at least get the pleasure of... of... The, the quest for truth, right? Yeah, Peter Hitchens wrote a funny uh, a funny column uh, one time about how if he lived in any other time, they would have just left him out on a clifftop to die. Like the tribe would have just left him out to die because he's completely a socially useless person uh, because he's not able to like join things or um, go along with anything. Basically, he's you know, uh, and and yeah, I feel a little bit like that. You know, the way that you, um, you know, something like religion, for example, gives people great, well, faith, obviously, and it gives them um, a sense of purpose and all kinds of stuff like that. Like uh, nationalism does much the same thing, right? You want the, you know, you want your to defend your nation like, a, you know, a but all of these things, these these things that are totally necessary for survival, do require a little bit of suspending this rational um, nitpicking tendency. Yeah. That uh, the, all those yeah. those premises with that that rationalist thing I was talking about, like I'm coming from the same premises that you are. Um, this is mm. this is kind of the way that you loop around and you, you kind of outsmart it. Maybe it's a cycle that's your, that uh, will be stuck in forever. But, yeah. Mm. I, I do think, though, the, the one thing that we can offer that is actually sort of practical and useful is the thing we talked about earlier, this idea that Malcolm talked to you about, too, that, that like, um, the real way to defeat these people is to... Um, is to is on class terms basically is to cut off the supply of money to them. It's to challenge their their privilege actually, like wealth and privilege, um, and to and the only way I can see to do that is through a populist kind of 
um, popular platform that involves basically like uh, like fleecing them as a class, basically like draining as much money out of them as possible. Um, gain, do, building a popular platform to do that through getting the people on your side by saying we're going to take all this wealth and privilege from these people and give it to you. And yes. yeah, like you defund, got me the, the, last defund the universities, defund the universities, defund the NGOs. I, I was doing a bit of research recently, which, and I was, even I was amazed to see this, that the annual budget, public budget of public wealth, this is working people's money, tax taxes going to this, um, the budget for NGOs Giving, given from the public wealth to the NGOs in Ireland is greater than the entire budget of the housing authority, the, the National <laughs> Housing Authority. And this Jesus is in the middle, th- and this is in the middle of a 10 year housing crisis and a homelessness crisis. Yeah, homeless people so don't if you go went, to committees and, and don't know how to write these letters and shit. Well, yeah, if, if you if you uh, make it part of your policy platform and you say, I am going to abolish all funding to NGOs uh, as soon as we get into power, and all of it is going to be used to double the budget of the housing authority. Uh, we, we, we will solve the housing crisis in one year. No, they'll shoot you before you get off. But yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you'll have you'll have th- like a well, probably just a few hundred actually, like unemployed uh, NGO uh, former academics and stuff. We we love. To See, they have a, they have a platform. The people you're giving money to don't have a platform. I love the thing that he said where he said that like that their party, like their name of their party, is like a physical location. Like you're already yes. speaking my language. The the, re, the thing that the reason I love book yeah Cl- yeah Clyburn is that Clyburn is like I he 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 tells you this is what I'm going to do for you and he, it doesn't it's usually small. The thing is you're competing against nothing. You, you, no one else gives them anything. So he says this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. And he just explains it in very simple terms. And like it, it sounds like crazy if you like if you look at our politicians. You'll say like I'm going to put a rider on this on this totally unrelated bill, and it's gonna it's gonna uh, put it in a thing. This is what I do for you. It's very di- we have millions and millions of people in all these societies. It's very difficult to communicate mm-hmm. people. You need to speak in very brutal, uh, very brutal terms. Uh, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, we love Tinkzorg here because mm-hmm. I I'm don't I'm not good at communicating. Tinkzorg speaks retard and he's able to to understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I, I'm a big fan of Malcolm. I think he's great. Yes. Yeah, he he's one of these people like Merrick that can um I'm like, yeah, 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 what he's saying. I, I can't I can't <laughs> I can't make my do it. Oh, okay, um are you gonna write another book? Yeah, I, I I should. Yeah. Um I ha I have well this kind of paralysis we're talking about is, is a huge part of my problem too, you know. Like I I think I, I um My year is a trap life. <laughs> well, you know, it, it feels like there's basically just like those two factions, you know, and if you're anything in between, you're just sort of met with like a blank stare of like why, which like they, people just can't sort of figure out why you're wading into the subject without really um, and being this 
having this paralysis that you're talking about, you know. Um, yeah, like I, I, so so that that's a huge problem, and and so I don't have a, I don't have this sense of certainty that they all do, all the culture warriors do. Um, but there's his fault, uh, because, though. People want like this is. Uh, I'm gonna hate. People are gonna light me up for talking too much, but th- people want to know what you got to say, Angela. So mm. just just start talking. Yeah, but they get so mad whenever I do. <laughs> Why do they get so mad then? Whenever I do? no no, I I don't want to be self pitying. I, I absolutely will. I've just had had to think about a lot of these things, like and in many ways, like I had to really really go back to the very origins and question everything from the from the beginning and that has taken time you know like i i but but i i do think that um i do think that the all of the you know i i I regret many years wasted arguing with leftoids right um but i do still think that the nonetheless that kind of ideological or whatever intellectual like training is actually good also because you really understand how this thing works and um the machine has come after you yeah 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 and you beat yeah and once it happens once you happens you once it happens you really can't ever see them the same way again you know um because i what i my bet was kind of like if i can just get them to bend on this one little thing Every we can have everything else, right? We can, we can, you know, we can, like if you look at the social democrats in Denmark, right? Okay, they bent on this issue, they got reelected. Now they have their wonderful, uh, you know, whatever it is, like almost the entire society is unionized. They've got great everything, social welfare state. Um, they're back in power. So all the endless ink that was spilled about, oh, social democracy is dead. Why? 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 How can this be? Um, actually, they, you just have to like bend on the cultural stuff a little bit and you will be back in power. But they absolutely will not do that. Yeah. They will lose every economic battle rather than bend an inch on the, on the cultural stuff. And that tells you that the cultural stuff is serving a material agenda that is their real interest. So it has taken a long time to really, really figure that out. I think I could have kind of intuited it a long time ago. But it has taken time to really work out to be sure that what I suspected was happening is in fact happening. <laughs> so yeah, I, the, the, this is the kind of stuff that I undoubtedly will be um, focusing on in future. The vul- the vulgar, the 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 wannabes, the wannabe Angela Nagels now are. Did you see them forming this thing where they're like? Um, just pretending the last four years haven't happened. They're just like, we'll just talk about healthcare, man, and uh, just cool, cool yeah. it with a little bit with the with the the id poll. Uh, and they, they say mm. id poll. They think of it, uh, identity politics is like, um, uh, just like these these, these t- minor cultural tastes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And not like a a real like a a, a way to political coalitions are, are yeah that's the fundamental thing that they are wrong that they get wrong they think that eh, this is like kind of the, i'm just talking about the general direction of the conversation they realize that like the excesses of political correctness are off-putting to the general public that's fine that's better than nothing right that's better than being like daniel denver or something but um 
But at the same time, it's so shallow, right? Because they see it purely as a marketing strategy. Yeah. You know, like if you just, if you just slightly change the tone of the way you speak, but that's not going to materially change anything, right? Like that's not they do really that, getting to the problem. Or or they triple down on on like uh, geopolitics. That's the other right. The other thing they do. In what way? Uh, they just obsess about like like what um, working people think about China and shit like this. Oh yeah, yeah. Or Syria. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think basically, I mean, Malcolm's direction is. I think it's the most fruitful thing. I think it's the. I, I just feel it's the closest to the truth of any real analysis I've seen, really anywhere. I mean, really across because I have been searching, you know, like for an explanation for what's happening and some kind of roadmap um, as to how to deal with it. And I think the direction he's going in, I mean, in a sense, the populist parties are already, already naturally kind of went in that direction a few years ago. But I guess because they weren't, um, because populism has a tendency to be, to to, to be um, a little bit directionless. Yes. It can go, it's easily co-opted, it can go all over the place, it can be just a momentary thing that then the the establishment parties just find a way back uh, after it. But, um, but I think that that is a... like no way to have like uh, populist leaders, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is a temporary thing almost by definition. But the but that's not to say it's not important. I mean, it it, you know, it does serve this really important function when none of the establishment parties are answering these problems. But I think that, yeah, what, what the thing that Malcolm is suggesting is to me a really viable, practical um, type of policy uh, that we can really advocate for. Um, and I do think that all the cultural stuff will sort itself out, actually. If, if, if the majority of people really have a say in the society then you're not going to have this tiny group of bugmen in, in like you know New York and California just basically deciding everything because they won't have the means to do that. Um, so I do think that you're yeah you are like draining the swamp or whatever right you you are you're taking <laughs> yeah. you are you're 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 solving the problem from the bottom rather than from the top, which is when, when you do it from the top, you're, you're looking at the effects of the problem and you're trying to solve them through a moral or cultural counter project. Um, and yeah, I think that the, this way, this um, line of thought really gets much more to the root of the problem. Very basic stuff. Uh, obviously Angela endorses uh, Nordic, uh, right populism, the re-election of Donald Trump, converting the <laughs> converting to Protestant Christianity, and she's promised to write a book about all of it. What? A, yeah. Uh, what yeah. else do you need to guys need to hear? What, um, <laughs> you, you made a movie. Uh, you know, to to purchase it, I had to like you know send a, an envelope to some ranch to eight, an eight dollar. I remember it was eight dollars. Uh, I had to give to the Fuse Network, and it was in some oh, yeah. completely convoluted means. Uh, what, like, did you like direct this movie? Like, how how did this come? No, about? no, 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 no. They they bought the rights from me. They bought the rights to the book, 
and the name and stuff. I mean, uh, did, did, were you, did you like, I want to produce a document? Was there something like, like, uh, is that something? No, no, that, they that, approached that's a very me. weird experience for someone, uh, you know. Yeah, no, no, they approached me and they asked to buy the rights and, uh, you know, it's it's so long ago I've kind of forgotten it, but I think my voiceover was in it and stuff like that. But no, I didn't direct it or anything. Um, so yeah, um, but you know, back then, like I I I didn't I didn't really I didn't you know I didn't have an agent. I didn't know how anything worked. I thought like, wow, somebody's giving me money just for doing nothing like you know great and so i didn't really, <laughs> i didn't really like uh even ask for or you know any to, to to direct it or do anything like that so um yeah you gotta write another book i will i will i promise i promise you right now <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll lend we'll lend you our massive media presence exactly. to advertise your book <laughs> you're welcome yeah i will i promise making their way the only way they know how Let's just